Welcome to Made Women. <gasps> Oops. That's right, guys. We're Oops. back in Zoom. We'll explain why. And of course, I got confused and said, welcome to Made Women. But we are not Made Women. We are well, unmade women. Every formula coming at you live from Venus. Uncle Dre and Auntie Chris bring you Gangster Goddess Broadcast. Yeah. Hi, Chris. Welcome to what? Say the right one. Oh, huh? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm confused in Zoom. Welcome to Gangster Goddess Broadcast with Uncle Dre and Auntie Chris. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I Welcome back to the Zoom room. Oh my God, it's so weird. This is weird. Let's, How long um, did it take me to troubleshoot getting on Zoom without one of our producers here? Oh my God, we were two just hours? wait an hour and forty five minutes. Yeah, to two hours for sure. I'm um, also afraid that it might be extremely bright in here. Oh my God, look at me. This <gasps> <laughs> is pretty bright. This How's is that? like That's the. The episode of Follies, of like us trying to do Zoom by ourselves. That's funny. Well, we um, did it on Made Women. We had a whole, uh, when Robbie left last time to go camping in New Mexico, uh -huh. um, I had to figure it out. But my daughter did it. This time I was left by myself to do it. And I disconnected my Bluetooth to try and connect um, Blackjack's ear pods. And I disconnected every Bluetooth device from my computer and then I couldn't use anything and then I had to go into my iPhone and troubleshoot and guess what you did it I did it yeah I'm so right. impressed I gotta be honest with you were like hold up. I was like just come over sit on the couch why don't you tell everybody why you're not over um well if we're, oh wow I hear police sirens right now I feel like oh, I'm in New York um good. I'm not there because I'm a little busted um, I've been in the hospital for a, a couple of days back and forth. I had to take my dear monkey. Um, you guys have heard me talk about monkey a lot. And if you follow my Instagram, you'll know a lot about monkey because I highlight her a lot, but she's an 85 year old, um, Nicaraguan bat that I take care of. <laughs> <laughs> no, she was, um, monkey was my nanny growing up and she's been living with mm -hmm. me forever. Yeah. And when she gets even just the smallest thing, like a stomach virus, we have to call an ambulance for her. And I'm hearing the sirens outside right now, and it's kind of freaking me out. But um, so, yeah, we rushed her to the hospital at mm -hmm. 5 o'clock in the morning. We've kept her so safe during this whole, um, the whole uh, pandemic and stuff. It's going to sound like I'm farting a lot. It's your just chair. So you know. <laughs> it's my chair, guys. For those of you listening and not watching. Well, it's like how Lorraine was saying, um, James Gandolfini used to put the whoopee cushions on the chairs in the other episode oh, yeah. that we did. I feel, this is going to happen a lot. It's also because I, no, I have no pants on. So yeah. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Because I'm back in Zoom, so I'm not wearing pants. These are actually um, really short shorts. I'm just kidding. Um, but anyway, Monkey's in the hospital, and she had um, she had a little event with her heart while she was in the hospital. So I would say that was divine intervention that we brought her in with food poisoning. And she was – but I don't think she would have had this little issue with her heart had she been home because – 
I think she was very stressed out being there and they started giving her tons of morphine oh. and she's not supposed to be on morphine. And that just slows down an 85 year old's mm -hmm. everything's insides. So I was not in favor of that. And when I found out about it, I was very upset. And it turned out that she had like what they call a mini heart attack while she was in the hospital. So I've been freaking the fuck out because she's my lifeline. She's my everything. And yeah, and anybody who follows me knows that. So I've been waiting here all day to see when I needed to run to the hospital and um, they just told me they took her in for this procedure. They're doing an angiogram on her. So I'm a nervous wreck. I might be a nervous wreck through this episode. We're gonna so get yeah, done. we were supposed to record it mm -hmm. days ago. Yeah. And we ended up having to cancel this one. We had to cancel our Lilo Broncado interview. Um, but we have managed to do a few other. Uh, we, we just um, recorded a really exciting um, Zoom with a bunch of players at once. And I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, Shh, don't, yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. We'd like to thank our awesome sponsor, Uprising Food, for supporting mm. the podcast. Don't uh, make best, me hungry. I know. It's the best low-carb, grain-free, dairy-free bread, and they're offering our listeners free shipping when you go to Uprising Food and use code GANGSTER at checkout. I know. It's so great. Oh, Here it is. Here's the box. I How cute is this box? Real quick, before we move on. Yeah, look at the packaging. I love the packaging. Baking it's small for the business. People. Yep. <clears throat> Support it. It's I amazing. wish I had a nice little um, plate of it right now with my olive oil concoction. That's oh my, my favorite snack. All right. You know what? You know what I want to do before we get what into do you like, do, the episode stuff? Um, I want to do a little GGB Mafia mailbag. Hmm. What, what is that? I'm sorry. Oh. Do I need to go get myself a drink? I what should. the F is that? <laughs> It's the mafia. It's the GGB mafia mailbag. It's we've gotten so many letters, people writing in. Oh, yes, the mafia oh, I mailbag. Like that. Oh, okay, fans. That's my yes, favorite. Fans, and there's yeah. so many great stories. We, you know, we just started filtering through all the emails, and we're gonna read some on. We did read one um, last week or the week before, but here's one from Eric from Detroit. Okay. He says, um, Eric from Detroit says, hi, Uncle Dre and Auntie Chris. First of all, I want to say I'm a huge fan, been on since the beginning. I had enjoyed your take on the show. I also love, I'm also a huge Sopranos fan, like <clears throat> listen to the auto commentary fan. Wow. My question is for Dre. So on the show, I heard about the food spit bucket because Ooh. Milsi, the food spit bucket. He's saying, yeah, oh. he says, the scenes are so long you would spit anything you put in your mouth. Was there a meal that you didn't spit out because it was so good and ate too much of it? And how full would those buckets get, Dre? Oh. Keep up keep okay, up the Eric. great work, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Love you two. God bless. Eric from Detroit. Cute. Okay. Yeah. The, 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 the spit bucket. Okay, I got to be honest. I only heard about that later on in, in my life. I was never privy to that. I'm also uh -huh. not always in those giant scenes, although I've been in a, gr a good share of a lot of those scenes, but not to, not to the extent that the other players are. Um, I've never spit my food in a bucket, but you know that I did puke my brains out in season five. 
Oh, um, all over the dog, Cosette. Yeah, we have some <laughs> stories about that coming up um, in, in, around in, in November. But um, anyhow, the spit bucket, the thing is that we used to joke around that everybody was overeating there. First of all, the food was delicious. The Italian mm-hmm. food, they ordered it from, I'm going to find out the name of the restaurant in, in Long Island City, but I'm pretty sure it was this one place that was fantastic. So... I, I don't think people were really spitting out all their food to that degree. Well, I feel but, like James Gandolfini, he was like skinny and then he gained it's probably all the food that you guys were ordering. He, yeah. Well, he started out on the series a lot thinner. Yeah. And then as yeah. the years went on, we all grew, by the way. Oh you, we God. all grew. Remember what what they said in the, the interview we just recorded about what the names they would change on my trailer depending on what size I was. Really? For my, for my name. Oh, that is oh, really funny. Oh, God, we went, we went up. Like, we were living the high life, man. We were eating fancy and good. I love it. I got one more. You know what? We, a couple weeks back, listen, we this, 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 um, Ari Gonzalez, oh, we I read another. Her. She writes her. us the best. So, yeah, you know what? I'm going to read another one from her just because I, this one stuck out to me. And it didn't stick out. It was something that I wanted to know as a listener. Or, you know, I'm not an actress, so I've always wanted to know this. It's, um, she said, the motherfucking GGB. Let me start off by, yeah, Ari. (laughs) Let me start off by saying, you two broads brighten up each week for me. I know I'm not the only one. I loved Made Women, and I love this broadcast even more because you both can do whatever the fuck you want, and we we love to see it. Thank you both for the vibes, the laughs, and letting us all join your deep and wild conversations. What I want to know is how the fuck do you snort fake cocaine? I want to know this too. Yes. That's a good On the one. show. Dre, I know you had to do it a couple times in the series. I know um, those uh, those racks of lines are not real. So please explain how that all worked. Love the energy you both put into this world so much. Two hot old bitches. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love her. Ari, I love her. I'm going to read love all her, her emails. Too. Listen. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. So I wait, I, two I old felt, bitches. Let me I say this. It. I felt bad picking another one of her emails because we did it a couple of weeks back. But I'm like, this is something that I want to know. Like, I, I see that. And every time I see that in a movie or a television series, I'm like, how do they do that? Do you- now, I always thought that it was um, baby formula. It was like a, like a kind of a baby formula-esque thing. Uh-huh. Um, but let me see what it was because I've done it a lot. No, I've we know. This yeah, stuff at nauseum, and it always freaks me out. But I always try to like make sure they line up the shot where it's not really me in there, and you know oh. we snort it up. Oh, so but, it's um, like a it's like an optical illusion type of thing, right? Oh my God, how awesome that my friend Boots Riley's movie comes up to talk about. Um, and I still haven't seen this movie, by the way. I'm dying to see it. Sorry to bother you. It's supposed to be fantastic. And Boots Riley directed it, and he's the singer from this awesome band, The Coup. And he also was the singer in Street Sweeper Social Club with Tom Morello. Oh, Tommy. And that's the article. I know Tommy. That's the article that just came up. So, <laughs> okay, that's really cool. Um, what is Army say? Army Hammer saying? Um, wait, the, 
that Hill ended up in the in the hospital. Not all actors are as lucky. In fact, he said Jonah Hill had to snort so much fake cocaine on the set of 2013's <gasps> The Wolf from Wall Street that he ended up in the hospital. No. So yeah. you don't so remember. What? So you don't even remember. I can't remember what it is. Years but I'm ago. trying to find it. No, because I just did it recently in um, in DL's. Uh, you know what the good thing about movie. you, Dre, is you just take direction. You're they're like snort that. You don't even ask what it is. You're like okay. But they're not <laughs> telling us. I know. We'll get back they're, to it. We'll get back to it. They're not. But I do think it's not a baby laxative because that's what cocaine is cut with. But it is, it's like some sort of, it's like some sort of a sugary, I want to say it's like a sugary substance. Um, That cannot feel good. It can't feel good going up your nose. I mean, I don't even, I would, yeah, I don't know. Um, Let's go into the overtone of, oh, wait, why don't you do our little recap? Well, first of all, no one even knows what episode we're doing. So everybody, yeah. this is the D-Girl episode, Soprano Season 2, Episode 207. Is it 207? Written by Todd Kessler, mm-hmm. an old friend of mine. And, um, oh, there goes the... <laughs> the chair. Yeah. Um, and it was, I think it aired February 27th of 2000. And D-Girl stands for Development Girl. What and is it our- though? But what is that? Because I know at the end of the series, at the end of this this whole episode, he calls the redhead a D girl, and she gets pissed. Right? She says she's a vice president. She's such a douchebag. Oh, because right? she's saying that. I get you know, it. Okay. They paint they paint all the Hollywood types out to be the biggest douchebags, douchebags of all time. Yeah. Um. Anyway, the synopsis of this episode is. Tony and Carmela grow concerned with AJ, who questions the meaning of life in the days leading up to his confirmation. Pussy's loyalty is put to the test, and Chris gets a taste of the Hollywood lifestyle with a bunch of D-bags. Yeah. Yeah. That's Um, what's happening. That is a lot. So I feel like there's a lot going on in this episode. I mean, it was like there were some great funny one-liners, right, that we'll get into hopefully. Throughout the ser- throughout the episode, but there was um, a lot of questioning the purpose of life. That's- yes, that's probably the biggest theme in it. But yeah. the but the A story is Christopher's story, mm-hmm. and all of his um, you know we're still. I think the last time we saw Christopher in Big Girls Don't Cry, he had abandoned. Um, screenplay writing, and he, yeah, screenwriting. Yeah, so he he abandoned his Holly his his possible Hollywood lifestyle, or you know, wanting to. I think what's going on in this episode, I think more than anything, is is purpose. Well, is, it's a purpose, and then Livia says in the thing, it's all a big nothing at the end. And you know what I did, which I was like, I just, there is like the, you know, I know that, you know, the, the connecting thing, whatever, but I looked up the word nothing and you know what came up for synonyms? Wind. Which David Chase puts in all of these episodes. Are you kidding? No, look up the word. Wait, if you look up the word nothing, Look up the word nothingness. 
If you look, look up the word nothingness, look at the synonyms, and the one synonym that stuck out to me was wind. And I'm like, this man is a genius because he put it, and that's why, remember I kept on asking him, like, what episodes had wind in it? I remember, like, Livia and um, Junior, Uncle June, were outside the, the theater, theater, and then we had the hallucination with the Italian woman, right, for Tony, and that was a windy yep. day, too. And it was all about like the series. It's like it's present throughout the whole series, and it's just nothingness. Yeah, there must be a a, a um, ancient or Hindu or Buddhist sort of reference to that. Then I would imagine, and maybe in a different language. Yeah, I was so excited That's when I saw that. When I saw that synonym, I'm like, he David Chase definitely looked this shit up. Like, this is something he went through. Like, Yeah, in, it's possible. It's po- I, but then again, we we also go overboard sometimes. Yeah. he. I heard he goes to France or something and, like, comes – is it France? I don't know. I read yes. something that he, he – goes go- to – he has a place in the south of France and he used to go there to decompress and write. And he comes back with a chart of all 13 characters uh, and how they might interconnect. And then I guess – you know, the writers, he, like, sees what works, what doesn't, and then that's how they... But he already, like, puts the characters on this chart. I mean... May, I, yeah, but he... Uh, the, the the writers might go in and write, but then David takes everything, and he's just like, slash, slash, slash. <laughs> um, rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. I mean, he changes... He changes every Italian word to make sure that you pronounce it properly, the Italian-American words. Amazing. All that sort of stuff. Um but yeah, this episode, I think the undertone for it, it's not one that, uh, you know, it's definitely not one that's like, um, there's a heaviness to it, but there's a lot of levity because they're dealing with this Hollywood stuff, which is so like, yeah. you know, it's so fleeting. It's, you know, it comes and goes in one's life. I, I know that people that are in this industry put so much importance on what they're doing. And while it is important, it's also one of those kind of industries where you always want to tell one of the people that are in it, you might want to check yourself. Yeah. You know, you might want to just chill the fuck out because what you're doing is really not that important. This isn't brain surgery, bro. No. You're an actor. Yeah. You know, you're a director totally. or you're a musician. Like, you know, all these artists that are like, you know, it happens a lot with musicians, but it definitely happens a lot with actors. But everybody's so, you know, I'm not saying art's not important. It's the most important. But I think David takes the piss out of it in this episode. And Todd Kessler, the writer, they take they, together, they took the piss out of um, the importance of, of being in Hollywood. Yeah. And I think it happens within the show as, as a, cause it's a mafia show, mm-hmm. which is also a, a genre. And I think we should, we'll talk about that a little bit only because of, um, cause this aired in 2000, which means we filmed it in 99. And then the, the movie made, um, the movie made with Vince Vaughn and John Favreau. Mm-hmm. That aired in 2001, and I'll get into that later, Yeah, but there's a lot of life imitating art and art imitating life and sort of swapping all of this stuff back and forth, and then at the, at the very bottom of it all, it's like, but who really gives a fuck? Like, what is the purpose? And I feel like that right now. Well, it's my meaningless. In the hospital. Yeah, yeah. I feel, you know, you go through... You know, there's. I think a lot of kids, and this is happening with AJ on this on, in this episode. 
Um, and it happens throughout the series, the whole existential theme and, and what, you know, and nihilism and like, there's so many different, um, ways that David tackles, um, one's purpose in life and and whether or not, you know, whether or not it's worth even the ending of the episode, like it, it, it cuts to black, which is nothingness again like it ju- there's like this it just keeps showing up well, i feel like um, aj's trying to look for his meeting with god his family you know he feels like it's all meaningless god is dead i, I guess he says that too what pussy's detaching that's all meaningless his whole thing with the connection to his mafia that's going he's like that yeah. reality is sitting in setting in and then chris yeah, is trying um, to relate and connect where there's such a disconnect in Hollywood and they're showing like these people just don't give a shit. Yeah. There's a great line in the, well, we'll get to it. But, yeah. um, but I feel like those three characters on the show in this episode between Christopher, AJ and pussy, they're all um, having to make um, big decisions. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're trying to really figure out what side they're going to be on Loyalty. of their own psyche. Yeah, and, but even even beyond that, their own, you know, where they're not finding balance. Like they're just they're just trying to figure out. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Like at the very end of the episode, when Christopher has to make that decision. I know, um, but we'll, we'll get to that. But let's go. Let's take it scene by scene. Let's, I feel like Christopher doesn't fit in any. Okay, okay, you're right. Scene by scene, we already did the title thing. So. Um, where the first scene we open up to AJ getting into the car accident, driving Carmela's car. Which it's by the it way, is. what did you ever do that? Get did into- you ever steal your parents' car and have uh, an accident? I never got into an accident. I used to steal their car all. I used to steal. I used to live in Wayne, New Jersey. I used to take my mom's big <laughs> ass, like you know those boat Mercedes, like they look like German tanks. We and had I used- one put fill all the friends in it and drive to New York. I would get pulled over. I had a fake license. It was bad. Yeah. Crazy. But I never got into an accident, so that's good. How about you? My no, well, I wasn't driving, but my brother, he would steal a different Cadillac every couple of months and flip them over. <gasps> the I'm talking, forget about that Mercedes. This Cadillac was the size yeah, of my ca- kitchen. Cadillacs are so I, long. The four door, I think it was the, I don't even remember what the hell the name was, but it was like the vinyl tops and the four door silver with a burgundy top, the silver with the, then that burgundy top turned to navy blue. He flipped them on their backs when he was 14. He's so lucky to be alive. So that was a constant. So seeing that scene with, um, with AJ, I was like, ah, this is nothing. Just a little (laughs) mirror. I know. I Um, know. But um, what, this next scene when we're at the nightclub, uh huh. That we shot that in Manhattan. I remember shooting that scene. I remember, I remember being uncomfortable, just being um, myself, Dre, because Alicia Witt was, um, I think, was she a movie star or I mean, she I, I, don't I knew know, who but she was. But you know who her husband was. Dominic uh, Famusa, Famusa, he what he played Edie Falco's husband in Nurse Jackie. Oh my God! I didn't put that together. Right? I knew he looked. Yeah. Oh my God, he's so much smaller. Really? You he didn't was big in Nurse Jackie. Well, I, I guess Edie's small, and did she didn't have any scenes with him in this 
Did she? No, she wasn't in. No. Any, no. So she's tiny, right? I feel like. I don't know. I've never met her in person. She's but probably I like my size. She's probably really? like my size. But that guy was like a big presence. And mm-hmm. in The Sopranos, this guy was like, you know, I guess because Chris's presence is so big that he overpowered yeah. the other guy. And but, Nurse oh, Jackie. Well, I didn't know that. She was always in like scrubs and sneakers and looking small and like, you know, she was all messed up looking up. And he mm-hmm. was the voice of reason in Nurse Jackie. So he was her husband. Yeah. I was like, that guy yes. looks familiar. I was like, what's he his name? He was great. Great. Oh, I didn't even put that together. He looked familiar, though. Yeah. But uh, he's cute. I love it. Totally cute. Everything's connected. All this, all we're all connected in this little Hollywood bubble. So this episode has that so much for me. I know. So I can't wait to get into that because of my some of my friends. I know. But, um, I know. I was tripping out listening to you, even when you were when you were um, Adriana talking about everybody. Um, so this is where Amy Chris is fa- starts Amy starts getting fascinated by Chris. Yeah, but the- first, let me just let me just t- tell you how uncomfortable I was. And look at Adriana in that scene and how she <laughs> pushes through how uncomfortable she feels just to make a connection with them. I know. And then she says when she says, oh, you, you, and her, like, Alicia Witts, the, um, what's the character's name again? Who? Um, Amy. Amy Saffer. Yeah, Amy. Mm-hmm. Um, she's so, like, she goes, uh, your earrings are so excellent. <laughs> I know. I'm like. Yeah, but you, <laughs> ate, you ate it up. Adriana ate it up. Wait, I have to tell you. And she so- was like. She's like, oh. you know, and she goes, actually, we're not from New York. We're from Jersey. Jersey. Like, that's, she should fucking leave it that you're from New York. Can you just leave it? <laughs> I, um, wait, when you were, and then, when age, I have to say this, I'm going to interrupt you. When you were in that scene, Dave and I were watching it last night because we were supposed to record this last night. And I turned to him, I'm at my desk, so the, the screen's above that in the office. And I'm like, She's a really great actress. I'm like, I oh, I was like, could you? Dave's like, I know, right? I'm like, this is oh, not, no. I go, you know how you can tell when someone's a great actress is when this is not their personality at all. And no, that is so not. not you. And I'm like, God, I'm like, respect. Okay, sorry. But yeah. thank you. I appreciate it. I'm going to keep going because I want to make a comment about the, you made a comment about, um, yeah, leave it. Adriana should have left it, unless she was from New York. And then Chris gets up and he calls. Does someone? Does someone call him a bridge and tunnel boy? Yeah, they call him a bridge and the the guy the guys that are that are messing around behind her call him a bridge and tunnel boy. And then he whispers in his ear, and then she's looking up at him like, oh. "I really want to put your neck in my mouth. <laughs> oh, I just want to get it in there." <laughs> For people who are yeah, listening, yeah, I'm in my ear. Wait, whoever's <laughs> listening needs to go to YouTube right now because she's <laughs> she's miming things. You might want to say. Anyway, I've been called oh, a bridge. But she said, "I know." She she goes. She goes. Chris said you shoot in a movie. Yeah. That must be so interesting. I don't even interesting. know. Interesting. Oh my baby she, girl, I love her. Oh, I love her too. And she she goes. She's. <laughs> She goes, was he cool or something? Or is he nice? And she goes, yeah, John, he's great. And she goes, no, Vince, Vince Vaughn. <laughs> Vaughn. 
Wait, it's so funny because Dave said, my husband, he's like, I can't believe that Chris, Dave's, my husband's now into, watches all the rewatches with me, but he, we're so into it now. He's like, I can't believe that Chris didn't like grab her by the hair because she starts talking about Vince Vaughn like he's so hot and he's so good looking. And that guy, Chris, he's a jealous person. Did you see the way he was looking at her? He was either embarrassed the whole time or he was pissed that I was talking about Vince Vaughn. Vaughn. Um, but, you know, she I don't know if he's embarrassed by her because he's not, he's out of his league. And, I mean, even when she says, oh, Adriana, what are you, what do you do for a living? She goes, well, right, right now I'm in the food service industry. It's like, mm, oh, no, baby girl. I know. Um, but uh, anyhow. He cool. makes it all cool with his big swinging dick when he whispers in that guy's ear. But um, but they're so out of place. and But she's so accepting and, and willing to be out of place and willing to feel uncomfortable to, to do the right thing for him and them. Because as she said, would it be so bad to attend a premiere? I know. Were you friends with? Did you put Vince Vaughn's name in there? Because I know you're friends with him. But or did was that a no. chase? That was that was part of the scene. It was coincidental, oh. and it was crazy. I mean, unless look, David always picked on things that he knew were yours. Like he would take something about you of relevance and uh-huh. use it for the character. He always did that. Um, you know, I think that they knew that I was a music freak and they used the whole music thing. But then again, David was a music freak. So I could be wrong about that. It was such a long time ago. But Todd Kessler and I, the writer, were really close during that time. He was supposed to come and do this episode with us, but he is now writing a gazillion episodes of a new show that's on a deadline. And he's one of the best writers in the industry. And just for you guys out there listening... He, um, when he left Sopranos, um, and hopefully he'll tell that story about how he left the Sopranos because it's a story. He'll be coming on hopefully um, right. later on in the season. He um, he created Damages and Bloodline, two Ugh. of the greatest shows out there. And he's in the midst of of creating some other shows right now, and he's fantastic. Bloodline. Oh my god, that show! I Damages. That act- I didn't watch Damages. Bloodline, oh, I, so I love. Good. So good. He's a fantastic writer. And he was a kid when we did Sopranos. We were both kids. So we kind of stuck together and did, a, you know, we went partying a lot. So I don't know if he knew that I was buddies with Vince Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Um, Vince introduced me to Shooter. That's oh, how Shooter, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have my children if it weren't for Vince. Shooter is her baby's Shooter's my daddy. ex, my baby daddy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but anyhow... Um, Chris and Adrian, they go, they go home and they have this conversation about, you know, oh. she wants, she wants him to still, like, what, you want to talk about me and my panties? <laughs> go ahead. This is where I get harassed. Oh, don't even try to gloss over this scene, girl. I was like, oh my Lord. By the way, Mrs. I am so shy. You, you, you weren't shy back then. To be able I to, was. it was painful. You walked. You have no idea. You first of all, you obviously didn't need to be. Do you look at your body back then, and are, do you is your mouth wide open like holy crap? I didn't know what yeah. I had. Or That's have. why youth is wasted on the young. 
Jesus. I was like, because now body... I have to roll my knees up. I roll the skin <laughs> on my knees into my jeans. Your body is perfect. And you're strutting around in those underwear. Yeah, it's perfect. It's... I would bring my own underwear because I didn't want to wear anything that I felt uncomfortable in. So it was always my underwear. I would even go buy them just for the show, knowing that that would be in character for her. Because I didn't want to be in some shit that I just felt really uncomfortable in. That makes sense. So now everybody knows yeah. what kind of underwear you wear. Okay, perfect. I don't wear those underwear. I bought them for Adriana. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not, I don't know if I was wearing my own in that scene. I don't, I think I was wearing some golden undies. They were cute. But she comes back out in them and I saw myself closing my robe and then I kept it open. And I wonder if that was, um, if I was asked to keep my robe somewhat open. Well, you were completely you know. almost naked before, so the robe even just open probably felt like a lot of clothes, so it didn't matter either way. <laughs> yeah, but what, she's talking about swingers with him or something, yeah. and he goes, he can suck my dick, that swings too. Oh my God. I love Christopher's lines. They're the best. But she kept his script. I know. She kept his script, and I was really, that was a scene that really bummed me out at the end of Big Girls Don't Cry, that he just gave up. And that whole episode is about giving up and giving in and stuff. His so dream. this episode, it's being resurrected, and he's going to have to make a choice. Um, and she says, "I believe in you," mm. you know. And when I hear that, because that that's that's the beginning of the end for her, because had she believed in herself at all, she probably would have made it out alive. But instead, you know, and, and that goes symbolically for any woman who has put all of her faith and 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 hard work into someone else and and taken all of those efforts out of her own basket there's got to be a balance you know but i've seen it so often i've done yeah. it myself you know that i am one of these people so um yeah when she says i believe in you it's like almost the the freaking kiss of death um a beautiful sentiment is 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 some has all this other stuff anyway yeah so that's all i have to say we go to tony and carmela and they're yelling at aj for stealing um carmela's car and aj talks about the absurd it's absurd why can i speak today can do you it say? chris no, i can't absurdity Use, of life yes thank you <laughs> absurdity of the life. absurdity of and life. there's no god he's questioning everything it's all nothing it's all meaningless. Yeah. And this is all ongoing themes forever on the show. Yeah. It'll, it, it just keeps coming up and up. But it's cute when you see the teenagers. First of all, when I was 14, 13, when I was about to make my confirmation, which I did, by the way, mm -hmm. we were taking theology class for sure in my Catholic school, which was really progressive and really something else. But, you know, we were learning um, things, you know, we were learning more about Buddhism and and Hinduism and and all different religions from around the world, but not to be a, a to be a total nihilist, um, and and not um, they weren't teaching us about Nietzsche or mm -hmm. Sartre or any of those philosophers yet. So I know the kids were used as a vehicle for this, and AJ was used as a vehicle for this because it mirrors Tony Soprano, and Tony Soprano doesn't have 
that education, because even when Melfi says to him, oh, it looks like he stumbled upon existentialism, and he yeah. goes, fucking internet. Like, <laughs> I don't even know if he knows what the word existentialism means. Yeah. What 14-year-old kids do, are, are especially who are growing up in a mafia family, I wasn't. Were you? Thinking, I mean, I definitely was thinking these thoughts, no doubt, but I didn't have, I didn't have a, a um, I didn't have a, a word to, a, to, to sort of explain it all. No. Yeah. The thoughts weren't as clear as what this is. Well, this is, you know, it, it also is TV. Right. Niche. He's like, well, I've niche. been reading niche. I love, okay. I mean, um, Jamie Lynn <laughs> Meadow. She's great. She's like, this is what you get for your education. You know, when she comes oh, down, right, right. she's oh, like, you think it's all about in- money. It's all about this is what you money. Like, this is education. Right. Does she say something yeah. like that? Yeah. Be careful if you make your kids smarter than you. Um, but then she comes in and quotes Madame de Stal, And she says, in life, one must choose between boredom or suffering. Mm-hmm. And then he tells her to go to her room. Go to your room. Go but to your room and be bored. It's true. Yeah. We do have to choose between boredom and suffering. I mean, this is like, a, this is real. That's a real idea. I know. I mean, we could, truthfully, you and I could talk about that for oh. an entire hour, but yeah. we won't. Um, but anyway, the whole concept of these philosophers, these writers that, mm-hmm. that, um, that AJ is kind of, and, and Meadow also, this whole, the absurdity of life and all that. I think it also really relates to the A story of mm-hmm. Hollywood because of how absurd and they really show. It's absurd. How absurd. It's absurd. Yeah. It's almost like it's on purpose, but then that it's funny, the, the stuff that keeps happening, but you're like, okay, well that could happen, but it's, it is absurd. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I felt like even just my, even me being there and Vince being my, <laughs> my buddy and John Favreau coming on and getting to know John through the Sopranos. And I knew that John and Vince were fans. And Vince and I probably had just become friends at that time. Or maybe we were friends for a while. Vince and I were really, really close. So yeah. for you guys out there, we were really close when we were young. We used to be like a, a running crew. Like we would go out and party. Our friend Peter Billingsley, who now pro- I think was producing all of John Favreau's movies, mm-hmm. he would um, be our designated driver because Vince and I like to to tie one on. And we were like brother and sister. Yeah. I mean, we were like the the wild brother and sister team. I mean, we would go out on the town. I, I, I've heard tear. some stories. <sighs> yeah, we were wild. Yeah. I'll never forget one morning after a night of drinking all night and I was at, at, at Vince's house and I was like, oh, I'll never forget. It was, we were feeding deer in his backyard after he sang <laughs> Whitney Houston's, um, what is that song? Greatest, what is her big great, song? greatest love of all. No, I just want to dance. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I just want to dance with somebody. Yeah. Okay. We brought Ginger there for the first time. She'd never been to Vince's house and he sits her in the kitchen and he has this long walkway in his kitchen and he would put that song on repeat. Literally. You would think we were doing Coke, which we were not, but it would seem as though we were, we were just drinking and having a blast, you know? Yeah. He would come running down the runway of his kitchen, dancing to Whitney Houston. And all over Ginger, drunk with her Coronas. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Anyway, I remember feeding deer. 
Oh, well, those that... were one of the only. I don't remember all the crazy drunken nights, but I do remember feeding deer in the mornings um, in his backyard with peaches. That is a crazy drunken night, by the way. <laughs> feeding well, deer. Oh my god. Okay. Um, but anyhow, so yeah, how all of it was connected to me. I even thought to myself while we were doing it, like this is absurd. Yeah. <laughs> what is this? Um, and what's even more absurd and mm. weird is that John Favreau would then ask me to, you know, just be like an extra, like a, you know, do like a cameo thing in uh-huh. his movie called Made, which is about a bunch of mafiosos. Oh, so and you did that. Okay. I did it. And I'll, I'll talk about it later. But do you know what his character's name is? You're going to freak out when you hear this. You guys out there won't freak out, but I'll explain it. Tell me. His character's name is um, is Bobby Resigliano. What? Okay, so Resigliano. Chris, you know who Sean, Sean Resigliano Resig- is, right? And Whitney, yes, of course. His yeah, wife, Whitney. I never, I never knew that that was his name in the movie. Wait, I, have, I did it. Yes, and he was, Sean Resigliano was your baby daddy's. Manager. Manager. And that was yeah. my second date ever seeing your hu- well, baby daddy shooter. play. People know shooter. Who shooter is. You could yeah. just say shooter. Seeing <clears throat> shooter play with Sean. And Dave was like, let me, I, I, I didn't know Dave at the time. He's like, let me take you to the Malibu Inn. They're playing at my friend Sean and, it's and all shooter. Because of Sean Resigliano. So I met my baby daddy because of Sean Resigliano being. Such close friends to Vince. Yeah. So, he works for them. So he was there. He was Shooter's manager. Oh, my God. So crazy. Sean was Shooter's manager. So Favreau named his character, his Italian character, Bobby Rosigliano. Oh, Which my I thought God. was... It's Six. all connected and crazy and weird and and incestuous. And anyhow. I feel like we're you know, just... I feel like we're just on the phone having a conversation. <laughs> there's I no know. one listening. But it all has to do with this episode. And, you know, because the episode's not, there's not so much heavy lifting here except for the existential themes. I feel like, you know, these are the things that that remind, that that take me down memory, memory lane when I hear this episode. I can't speak. Anyway. But it's um, crazy. Those connections are crazy. Foreshadowing. Everything yes. in your life, right? Crazy. Well, it was actually happening. I don't even know if David knew. Um, but anyhow. Okay. Um, um, another theme, though, that's been going on is how all of these characters are major contradictions. All They're, of them. Yeah. I'm yeah. just going to stretch. Yeah, keep stretching. If you um, want to talk about the contradictions, you can. I'm going to take no, a break here. I'm gonna, we'll stretch. talk about that later. I was going to go right into fart noises. Skip and Pussy meet to discuss the an assassinated mob figure. Well, he and it's a, it's a quick scene with him and Skip. I don't think and, this is um, the one at the apartment, is it? No, this is when he's outside and you see that he lives next to a cemetery. Well, that's that's what I want to say. That's what I meant. That's at his apartment yeah. or something. Foreshadowing. Yes. Yeah. Right? I, I, I never, yeah, I was surprised. When I saw the cemetery, I was like, damn, that's pretty, that's like, pretty straightforward. I'm like, <laughs> why does he live right? And he's like, let's go out to the balcony. Like, well, who wants to stare at tombstones? Right? Like, I, yeah. I don't know. And it's like, he's going to be there soon. So, 
And you see, uh, you see, um, Angie, she's pissed. Tony Kalem with that, uh, with her awesome scowl. Um, but yeah, that's, it's again, it's, it, he's living next to a cemetery and it's like, it's like living, he's living to die mm -hmm. again. The, you know, the absurdity of life, the big nothing, um, life's purpose just to be here to rat someone out and to dig his own grave, so to speak, right behind his house. Like he's living in, in, in death. Well, right I feel, there. I feel like he doesn't understand at this point, like obviously you see towards the end and we can talk about that, but like right now it's just like, you know, Skip has him, keeps on convincing him that Tony's like this, these guys don't care about you, this is a jerk, blah, blah, blah. And so I don't think it's definitely not hitting him yet what's happening. Yeah. The lack of connection that he's going to have to his family, the mafia. But also, was he wearing a suit in this scene? Who? Pussy? Skip. It was I weird. No, I think Skip was wearing a suit, which, yeah, yeah he's always in the, um, oh, that was, that was weird. Yeah. He's always looking like a gang, like a like a thug, and this scene he didn't. He yeah, didn't that's a like choice, a and I wonder what I, I'd love to know what that choice was. Um, anyway, Tony and Melfi's session, where Tony take uh, talks about AJ's new world view. It's not really new. He's kind of been talking about this for a while, right? Yes, he's been talking about it. Um, and then Tony's like not upset about the car. Dun dun. Uh. Dun, dun, dun. Let the boys be boys. <laughs> I'm sorry. What's happening? I'm going to crack my back right now. He, sorry. I'm like probably laughing so loud. Um, what, are you, what are you cackling that, about, miss? That song, Let the Boys Be Boys. I'm joking. Because <laughs> he's like, boys will be boys. He's like, I know it's so stupid. <laughs> this is what happens when I wait too long for the technical area to figure out i'm delirious um well, okay first of all the fact that he doesn't care oh sorry guys the fact that he doesn't care about the car situation but he does care about his life views is um is it's it's, it's kind of the two rub each other because he doesn't even care about the kids in the car you he says it later when he's with livia um, but we'll know. get to that after, yeah. but, um, what she says to him, when some people realize they're solely responsible for their decisions, actions, and beliefs, um, what is it? Uh, and that death lies at the end of every road. They can be overcome with intense dread. And Tony goes intense dread. And she says a dull aching anger that leads them to conclude that the only absolute truth is, is death. death. That was... And then he says, the kid's onto something. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's his mirror. Mm -hmm. You know, that little boy is his vessel for understanding himself in a, in a little person's body, a little fart knocker's body. And, the, and just the fact that, you know, that, that Melfi wants to highlight... Tony's um, feelings towards his mother, that that could be leaving an impression because they do use AJ to 
to, to extract information from Livia or to bring information to Livia. That's, it's a, it's definitely a mechanism within the show, Mm -hmm. even though it's done seamlessly and it's awesome. It's still definitely the way that they are communicating to a certain degree. True. Um, Yeah. Cause Tony won't, you know what, you know what Livia would like? She was around right now. You know what she would like? A pasticciot? No. A cannoli? Maybe a little uprising food bread. Oh, I think she... Why are you doing this to me right now? I think Olivia would love bacon oh. for the people. You know that's my favorite bread. Why are you Why are you taunting me it's... when you know I'm starving and we were troubleshooting and I didn't get to eat before we started? I know. It's delicious. It's, you know what? This bread is like a supplement. And with, you know, you're working a lot, you're being a mom now that all the kids are back in school. I feel like this is like a really healthy alternative that really tastes like bread, which is great. But how, how can I just, how crazy is it that this bread is not just a replacement for grain free, dairy free, preservative free, you know, Mm -hmm. like I don't even want to name the names of all these. I can't even remember the names, honestly, of all those kinds of breads in the supermarket. I really don't like them. I am a bread junkie. I have a bread problem. So when you take bread out of my diet, which happens, which has to happen really often. I know. Because I'm, I am not tolerant to a lot of things out there. Um, and bread is, is, is seriously terrible for you. Well, this um, isn't. This, this is... bread is, gr- how can this bread be so delicious and be so good for your, for your gut health? And it is. Oh my god! It's I, mind blowing. I've, it's a miracle. It, it really is. It's I, a freaking miracle. <laughs> I praise, love it so much. Praise God! Actually, like I'm believing in God for this bread. Speaking this whole episode, but let it's me. The, the um oh, it's the av- bread of the gods. Avocado toast on this bread oh. is freaking unbelievable. Unbelievable. But you know something? Mm. Okay, there's a lot of great things that we can do with the bread. I've done the croutons. I've done. French toast. I've done sandwiches. Do you know how I like this bread best? How? With nothing except for the olive oil, uh, with crushed red pepper, mm-hmm. heavy salt, so it's still crunchy, garlic powder, and lemon pepper. And you scoop up all of that stuff from the bottom of the bowl and eat it with that bread. It is the most delicious. That bread is good by itself. It's so good. You made that last time and we stuffed our faces. And the good thing to know is like we were still able to work after. We didn't feel like we had a weird stomach thing, you know, like that whole, it's good for your gut. We just want to say thank you to our awesome sponsor, Uprising Food, for supporting the GGB. Best low-carb bread, right? I mean, we're addicted. Oh, my God. No, Um, no, no. It's beyond. It's beyond. Beyond, they're offering. It's beyond bread. It's beyond. It's beyond low carb bread. It's fantastical. Um, they're oh. offering our listeners free shipping when you go to uprisingfood.com and use the code GG. No, use the code Gangster at checkout. I want to oh, say this is gangster bread. It's gangster. Just remember bread. that bread is gangster. Chris, we have a, we have an important Zoom emergency that's happening right now. There's a, what, a Zoom what's emergency. Happening? Alicia Witt is on the line. Alicia Witt is Amy Saffer. Let's see if she can remind us of anything that I... I, I don't remember anything. You're crazy. Let's see the if, fact that you let's bring this No, she's up. on. 
Oh my no, no, God. she's really on. Let's let's uh, let's hold on, guys. We're gonna bring on um, Amy Saffer. Okay, thanks. Oh, my God. surprise guest. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's good. Thank you for um, doing the surprise phone call with us today for the oh, D girl yeah. episode. Yes. Oh my God. We get nervous. We get totally nervous when we have to talk <laughs> we're to geeks. somebody. We're but, geeks. Yeah. We're, totally. I'm, and I'm going to tell you straight up that when you were on the show, I was nervous and I don't know if it was Adriana because Adriana had to be, she's so like, oh my God, I love your, um, <laughs> you know, she's so like mesmerized by you or if it was just me because back in those days, you were like, I, I was, um, I kind of adored you, you, cause you were doing all these kind of cool indie films and you, oh, I see a nice dog in the background, but, um, but yeah, I was. I was probably intimidated in real life, and it was like our Hollywood episode, you know? Yeah. And our sh- the show was still new. That is, I, I never, never would have known that. That means so much to me that you, that you just told me that. I, oh my God. I, I mean, Cecil, I, Cecil you know, be I, demented. Like what? I forget everything. Like you were saying the other day, to me, I'm always like my whole life. If somebody even recognizes me from something I've been in, I'm always amazed. I just don't doubt the fact that that people do. <laughs> it's like I it's like I love what I do for a living, and then I almost for me, it's more about the experience of that. And I rarely watch. I don't watch a whole lot of what I've been in, so. I I kind of forget that it that other people go see it and it's not just something I do and that I, only I see. But back in those days when we were starting out, I mean, we were I think we're probably about the same age. Um, you know, we were kids, really. I mean, we're old now. We are some oh, old bitches up here. It. We are. Well, not you don't old. like to hear it. You don't like I'm to hear denial. the truth. Complete denial. <laughs> well, yeah, we're Alicia. Dre has zero memory. I mean, I, I can't really throw a stone because I'm just as bad. So her and I, when we get into arguments, we're like, you said this. I'm curious, like, what was your memory of it, like, being on the set, meeting Dre? I mean, you guys couldn't have been more contrasting characters in that well, here, set, This is that. why you're here, though. Chris Chicken, Chicken, who everybody, <laughs> yeah. our listeners know who Chicken is because he was on our Made Women podcast before. Um, he was the production um, coordinator from the show. And when I, I always ask him, hey, do you remember anything from this episode? Do you remember anything? Because I remember nothing. And when D-Girl came up, he was like, you should talk to Alicia. And I was like, don't tell me she remembers anything. He goes, she remembers everything. I was like, oh boy. Okay, give me her email address right now. We're calling her. Yes. That's, that's so cool. I love Chris. Um, and it's interesting that you say you don't remember anything because I, I think that's a thing that people experience specifically when they're on a long running series. Um, Cause the one series that I've been on that ran for years, not as many years as the Sopranos, but um, I was on a show called Sybil that ran for four seasons. I have no recollection of, the episodes themselves. There's specific experiences I remember, like the experiences hanging out with the people that I worked with, that I remember. But 
people come up to me, like actors who guest starred on an episode and they'll be like, I was in the one where the, the thing happens and that happens. And I was like, it did? Oh, I don't know. I know. <laughs> I hate that. I hate when that happens. <laughs> so strange. So so, but I remember you a hundred percent. There was no you. forgetting you because you were, you were you back then. Like you were the you were the cool chick. Really? Yes, Alicia, you oh, were. She's you, fanning you out. You were in, totally fanning out. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was really excited, and then of course Adriana was also. But she was excited. I was excited. I was like, oh my god, shoot. I mean, I think you had done like Cecil be demented before. Yeah. That, of course, David Lynch. I mean, Um, and you're right. I had just filmed Cecil B. Demented. Uh, No, I was just about to film Cecil B. Demented, I think. Um, I don't know. The Sopranos, I think so. I think. You you would know better than than me. I I was just, you know, I was a fangirl. I was like you, John Favreau. Go, Chris. Go. Sorry, I, I will talk nonstop. No, please do. But I wanted to make sure I didn't forget to tell you that I remember meeting you and just what needing to know how you got those abs. Do you remember <gasps> asking you about them? Did you want me to show them to you again after two children? <laughs> if you, if you had, do what? I have the balls to do that right now? Let's see. Oh, my God. No, they're not as good. They're not as good. You know who's got the best ones? Chris Kushner right here. This one. Not if I would high. hunch over. Nope. If not. I'd hunch over, mine would roll. It would all roll out. That's, that's I did I have great right abs, though, Alicia. And I didn't know it back then. You I was so insecure. They're phenomenal. They're, they're beautiful. <laughs> and I, I'll never, I never have forgotten what you told me because I came out and asked you, what do you do to get them to look that way? And you said, honestly... I don't do that many crunches or anything. It's just consistency. You just do them every single day. I was like this. I'm going to throw a pen at her. (laughs) Um, How did you get that? How did the whole Sopranos thing happen for you, Alicia? So I had an audition. And Mm -hmm. at the time, so I was on, as you know, season two. And a lot of people were still becoming familiar with the Sopranos. It was one of those shows that, um, the first season had aired and it, it had made quite a buzz, but it wasn't a show everybody was watching just yet. Mm-hmm. And I'd heard of it and I was in New York for some other things. And this audition came up. I'd never seen the show. And I went in and read um, with, I, I'm sure that David Chase was there. I remember him being there and uh, Michael Imperioli. Oh, I, didn't even, I didn't even think you had to read. I would assume that they would have offered you the damn part. Anyway, oh. continue going. Go. No, they didn't. I, I went in and read. But, I mean, it was it was a major meeting, of course, because it was, it was directly with those guys. So that was great. And I just loved the character right off the bat because she reminded me, in particular, of one female producer I'd worked with, who I won't name, who was so much like the D girl that uh. I could not even believe it. She, she was so fake and so like the kind of person that would nod a lot when you were talking, but her eyes were glazed over and <laughs> uh, came into my dressing room one day and tried to be my pal and was talking about how us girls have to stick together and all this stuff. And 
Turned out, she was she was the lone female producer on this project. Her only reason for being in there was to try to get me to wear a padded bra, because Are it you was kidding me? My, my boobs needed to look bigger, and that was that hmm. was the whole purpose of her conversation. Speaking of That's boobs, many examples, but <laughs> speaking of boobs, <laughs> your body in that in those sex scenes with Christopher, wow. That's Thank all you. I have to say is yeah, wow. You didn't need a you didn't need a padded bra in, in those scenes, that's for sure. Oh. <laughs> How nerve-wracking was that? It was not actually that nerve-wracking. That was my first sex scene. Um, <sighs> and and Michael made it easy. I mean, he was just so lovely to work with. I liked him immediately when we read together and just thought he was so original and and kind and smart and I I was thrilled when I knew I'd have the chance to work with him and have that many scenes with him and the the sex scenes and the the romantic scenes were just an extension of that it felt like I could completely merge into this character and I loved the sex scenes in it because I felt like she the layers kind of came off of her a bit mm-hmm. after that. Yeah. She unraveled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the artifice starts to shed, and even somebody as horrible in some ways as she is, that character, yeah. they they have. There's a, a little girl in there, or a little boy, or whatever. You know, there's somebody who's trying to get out, who's trying to mask whatever it is they're insecure about. So. I just, I felt like even though she was using him in having sex with him, she was also really enjoying it and mm-hmm. connecting yes. in a way that she wasn't with her fiance. So just to clarify, I I had never seen the show when I filmed it, but then I went back and I watched every episode and I couldn't, could never miss it. It, it is one, by probably the best show ever made. And it was I, so good. Your journey, oh my God. Oh, thanks. That scene where Christopher almost strangles you to death. That was my favorite scene. I'm so glad you picked that scene. Everyone is always like, the scene where you die, the scene where you die. I'm like, I died in that scene. I didn't die in the woods. I died when he tried to kill me on the couch in that scene. It was my favorite. The look in your eyes. I'll never forget it. It was... Oh, that's actor to actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very he didn't want to. He didn't want to press down on me. Um, and I was like, we need to go for the scene, Michael. We really do. So when he wouldn't press down hard enough, I pushed into his hand all the way, and I was like, you know, just to get my eyes to. I couldn't. You can't fake that, you know. Oh. So I was like, you know, back in those days where we all took our acting very, very seriously. Not that I don't now, but back then it was precious, you know. Yes. Um, wow. Anyway, speaking wow. of all of that stuff, do you remember? Chris says that you remember that day where you guys were shooting the fake movie scene. You know, those are scenes that they're so um, out of place in a soprano story. So the reason why this episode stands out so much, I don't even, I don't know if you became friendly with the writer, Todd Kessler. Um, no, I never got to know him. 
You didn't, because we used to hang out all the time. So I know that you have stories about hanging out with us after hours. I don't was I, I don't even know if I was with you for some of those, but you will have to jog my memory because I don't remember anything. But what was what I wasn't there for the fake um the fake movie set with Janine Garofalo and Sandra Bernhardt. What was that whole and John Favreau? That must have been a nerve-wracking day. A little bit. It wasn't no? for me. I because I felt like I mean, I just felt completely like I was Amy. So I was- right. you, you were bossy. You were just I like, just, I belong here. It's fine. I belonged there. I, any anxiety that maybe I felt just, well, it wasn't my first day on set. I often feel butterflies even still if it's my first day on something that's established just because- I thought that was your first day. I don't think so. Chicken I'll, was telling me that it, that it was like a- bitch of a day because there was some massive hurricane what yeah there was a hurricane that day oh see i he told me that you he's so fired okay. he's so fired <laughs> well, chicken you're fired if you're listening you're fired <laughs> oh my god chicken <laughs> he doesn't even work for yeah, us I'm he just said firing um <laughs> that there was well, i remember that very well and i remember not being nervous and I feel like I had met, I had definitely met Janine before, uh, just around New York. And I think I'd met Sam. Yeah. Sandra had been in a movie or no, she, I met her later. That was my first time meeting her. And then she was in a movie that I was in called playing Mona Lisa the next year. Um, and John, I think that was my first time meeting him, but it was like, I, I kind of, I either knew them or I knew people that knew them and it just, you I don't, it's so weird for me. I remember the scene we did together as being my first day, but I guess it wasn't. It might've been, we were we shooting at a nightclub in New York city, right? We were in Manhattan. Yeah. It was during, I think what Chris, it was during what? It was during the day. It oh, was that's right. It daytime. was in the daytime. I yeah. loved when we got to shoot in Manhattan. I hated when we had to go out to Jersey or Queens. I was so happy when I could just stay in the city. Yeah. But, um, but I think what Chris was referring to on that set day, he must have been telling me what was going on behind the scenes. Apparently that day when you guys had to be in that, um, on that fake set, which I think was West 4th Street or where Barpedi is. Do you know where Barpedi is on 6th Avenue? Yes. Over there? I think, it was it in that park? Was it in that empty lot? Do you remember? But either I, way, he, he... I thought it was in Brooklyn, but I might be totally wrong because I know we filmed the pizza scene after that day. That was... Right. But apparently there was a hurricane and the train stopped running. The sewers in New York City got backed up and Janine Garofalo walked to set that day and she was the first person on set and I guess there was some, I don't know if there was like some sort of turmoil because there was nobody, nobody in production was there. I don't know what the hell, he, he wrote me all of these things about D-Girl and I was like, wait, and I, but I thought he was telling me that you told him these things, but apparently not. It must have been behind the scenes set drama where everybody was scrambling, but the actors didn't even know because yeah. they just, you know, they're not going oh, to yeah. freak everybody out. Some yeah, I don't, I feel like I wasn't privy to that. To that I, angle. But, uh, well, I was ahead, remembering before, and I was asking Dre about this because when we were obviously, we do a little 
research on whoever's coming on. And I dragged my memory 88 minutes with Al Pacino. Yeah. I mean, what was working with him like? <laughs> that's that, all she wants to know. She I, give that's a fuck all about I the want Sopranos. To <laughs> I want to go, we're talking about different things. Why can't I jump around? Was he, how is he? It was, it was so, now that was a scenario where I first met him doing a table read and Mm -hmm. Al is one of my absolute all-time inspirations as an actor. I don't know if I would have even continued to pursue it if not for some of those performances of his, like Dog Day Afternoon in particular. So great. Um, I, so I had an audition with the director and, um, and it went well. And to my surprise, he said, would you like to stick around? We're going to do a table read in a few hours. Al's going to come in and read it. Would you you like to? Yes. The answer is yes. (laughs) I, yes. I said, absolutely. Yes. And, you know, I, I felt like I was probably a long shot to get the part, but I, just thought the experience of getting to read with Al Pacino would be extraordinary. So I kind of took some deep yoga breaths and calmed Mm. myself, read the script. And then the moment that I met him uh, and shook his hand, I stopped being nervous around him because he is so, he's so arrestingly just a human being and just an actor. He doesn't have any sort of, star energy about him he's just he wants to make every performance as good as it can be he's there for the work he loves creating these characters and he's really collaborative which amazed me um and when I ended up getting the part I I just I learned so much from him and he he made me more of a fan way more of a fan in getting work him than I had been before, which I know isn't always the case, but he, we got to know each other pretty well. We flew back and forth from Vancouver to LA because that was part of his contract. And so we did that most weekends and we would love that (laughs) sing-alongs to Broadway musical scores. Just, he's got an amazing voice and he's just a lovely human being. And the fact that we made a popcorn thriller together but he was still so, so concerned about making every scene of it as good as it could possibly be. He would gather all the actors that were working in the coming week and we would have dinners at this wonderful Italian restaurant in Vancouver and we would run our scenes together oh. on the weekend. Oh my That's God. awesome. I mean, he's just, it meant so much to him. It really did. The beauty is in the details, right? Uh, yeah. Oh my God. Be, asking you to do the read through after the audition and you weren't sure if you got the part. I love that. I, I, you I 100% had it. <laughs> I love that. That's one of those kind of, those are one of those kind of magical moments in life as a young actress. I love that. Yeah. It's... And singing back and forth on the plane. Oh, I mean. <sighs> I know. Speaking of singing, you must have turned that plane out with your beautiful singing voice. I don't know if all of our (laughs) listeners even know that that's really what, I mean, you kind of focus on that more now, right? Or is it more that piano? It's equal now. 
I would say I spend my time half acting and writing mm-hmm. um, for that world. And then the other half is making music. I'm in the process of finishing my fifth album right now. Oh, wow. And I've been playing these shows on Stage It, which is a beautiful virtual platform. So during our shutdown where live shows are just now starting to come back, but I've had a tour rescheduled twice this year and now it's just postponed until next spring. So yeah, my boyfriend too. It's a nightmare. The whole music industry at the moment. Is he a singer? Oliver. He's a, he's a Nashvilleian musician. Oh. And as, and I wanted to ask you if you like living in Nashville because I've been looking at real estate for the last two weeks out there. Have you? And I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm really a New Yorker, but my house in New York burned down. So I've been staying in LA. It but burned the next, down? It, oh, it burned down. It was a huge explosion um, about five years ago. But oh. I've been, I can't get back there because I can't afford it the way I could back then. So right. I figure what's the closest thing to New York? Go to Nashville and drive 13 hours um, to get into my city every day. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal do you love it there I love it here I think that moving to Nashville is the best decision I've made in my adult life second only to deciding to move to LA when I was a teenager oh wow um, I'm originally from Massachusetts where mm-hmm. I did you're from Worcester you're from Worcester right Worcester that's right Worcester Worcester <laughs> <laughs> Can you do a good Boston accent for us? A good no, Massachusetts? Good. I don't think I do a very it's good It's a hard one. one. I, I always sound like I'm doing a caricature of someone from there. I, oh, I that really- was good. Is that bad? Okay. Yeah. That's a hard yeah. accent. To me, yeah. it's the hardest <laughs> accent to do. Right? It's, it's really hard. And yeah, I agree. I left when I was so young, I didn't. I worked with a dialect coach when I got to LA. I didn't think I had an accent, but I a hundred percent did. <laughs> but then I worked with a coach and. Yeah, me too, Alicia. I didn't think I had an accent over here at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Nashville. It's what I love about living here. I feel like I would want to live here even if I didn't make music just because it's so, it's so real and I love that I'm surrounded by people that do all kinds of things for a living. That's great. Uh, mm-hmm. I I feel like my acting work has improved too because it's not my sole focus. And so many auditions are on tape anyway, or on yeah, you know, yeah. Skype or FaceTime meetings. I don't think there's any reason to live in LA or New York if you're an actor anymore. Well, not uh, especially that's now. That's good for me to hear. hear. Yeah. Chris, Chris doesn't want to hear that because then she knows she's going to have to follow me to Nashville. But, I have uh, friends out there. I already tried to pull me out. And then she's going to go out. We have all these businesses together. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Everyone's in Nashville. But, it um, might be time to grow up, Chris, and stop paying yeah. the, the $85 million zillion dollars in taxes property on property taxes. tax here. <gasps> so, Alicia, when you moved out, do you have family that there or you just uh, went? Not, Not family, but I do have. So I was on the show Nashville a few years ago when it was still. Oh, that's right, you were. Of course, I forgot. <laughs> it was. That was just such a beautiful 
blessing that came along. And even before that, I had been spending a lot of time in Nashville for a Uh few years, coming back and forth doing writing sessions. And even the albums I was working on then were produced in Nashville because it's just the best place, I think, to be for music. So when I was on the show, that was in 2016, and it was the longest stretch I had spent here. And that really sealed the deal. Not only because I realized how at home I really felt in the city, but I also met this incredible group of women who live in East Nashville, which is where my house is now. And I have this community that the love and the support that we have for one another is unlike anything I've ever found. And it was just like all the signs pointing to live here. And then I realized I'd lived in my house. I'd owned my house in LA for 17 years. And I was like, wait a minute, I could sell it for how much? Yeah. Yeah. And I could buy a house in Nashville for how much? I'm going to do that. Alicia, I'm in this house 17 years too. Maybe that's the magic number (gasps) people. Well, the fact that you found a community of women, Dre Dre and I always talk about sisterhood and support and the older we get, the harder that is to to find these women in the community. And the fact that you found that somewhere as an adult, bravo, like that's amazing. And I'm happy for you. Thank you. Yeah, it's important. It's the most important thing, man. Sisterhood. I I, I don't know what I would do without it at this point. Seriously. I don't either. Really do, but you guys have that together, and you live in. We want more of that. We want we you know that's why we we try. I mean, we try to focus on mostly the women of of the show and a lot of the female subjects on The Sopranos, which is strange because it's such a male dominated genre as it is. But as we all know, the women have ran behind the scenes all of the characters on The Sopranos to a degree, including you in D Girl. So. Yeah, the, the, there's it's not it's not a show for weak women, but um, but yeah, it's uh, it's all about the ladies. It's all about the creators. We're the creators. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, we're not going to keep you much longer because we just wanted. Oh, wait, before you go, Alicia, mm-hmm. what what did we do at night? Was I with you guys? Oh, I can't remember. No. I can't remember certain nights. At oh. the bar. The maybe, bar. Maybe that's I can't a even good remember. thing, Dre. The bar meaning Michael's bar, right? Yeah, I can't even remember the name of it, okay? Because that's how I would be. And, and the, we, I mean, we partied hard. So the bar <laughs> that I went to is, was Michael and Victoria's bar. Yes, that's where we always went. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, yeah. That. So I don't remember what it was called, but I know it was in the East Village. Was it called Seal Rouge? Am I crazy? Um, no, that was the... Part. Oh my God, I'm really spacing. I should have asked Michael when I had him on. I forgot. <laughs> well, what's, um, what I remember most about, I think I only went out this one night. And I don't, I don't think that you were with us that night. Oh, I don't okay. think so. I don't think so. But I had this lovely conversation with, with Michael on the set that day, and he told me all about the bar and the fact that Victoria also played classical piano and uh-huh. that, um, that they had a piano there, and I should come on out, hang out with everybody, and play something. I was like, sure, of course I will. So I came out, but the thing is, 
I'm, um, I'm a late bloomer in many ways. And one of those ways is drinking alcohol. So that year was the first year that I started to drink. Oh, no. And I just remembered Me I was too. wrong. By the way, what you do? <laughs> no, Excuse no, me. No. I she she came out with a beer as a baby. <laughs> a little mini <laughs> bottle of tequila. Jerry's like, I'm here. <laughs> By the way, I just remembered. Um, I have met Sandra Bernhardt before because playing Mona Lisa was earlier that year. Okay. Just a little clarification. Got because it. I remember this because it was on the set of playing Mona Lisa that I had my very first drink. And then I filmed The Sopranos later that year. And I was just tiptoeing into the world of it. And the cocktail that I had found probably the week before was the Cosmopolitan, which, as you remember, was very popular. Very popular. In 99. Sex in the City made that And you get hammered on them. You get hammered on them and you don't know what's happening. You're just like... Sugary. Very sugary. Exactly right. And I, I think Michael was still working and I, I got to the bar, whatever time I think Todd was there and some, some other people from the crew were there. I, you know something? I think I was there because I think, did you play piano? Yes, I did. I was there. I was there. I, it's, it, okay. it's vague, but I was there. And if Todd was there, I was probably there. And, um, yeah, I think, yeah, we were, okay. Well, let me ask you the same question because I I direct messaged with Michael a few weeks ago because he did his D Girl episode on on his Talking Sopranos show, and I asked him if he was aware that when I played piano for him, I was shit faced. Ah. Did you know? I okay. I yeah. know that you're, wait, you're supposed to be the one who's reminding me of things, but, but okay. little, little things like this, <laughs> I, I think that, I, I think that I, I stayed with you. I think I was hanging out with you that night for part of the night, maybe because you were talking about, I, I you know, I might feel a little drunk. I might feel this. And it's usually in my nature to be Mama the bear. hoverer. Mm-hmm. I will be like, I got this. Don't worry. But. I could also be totally wrong and making up a friggin' story in my head right now, but I was supposed to have Todd on because he's he's in the middle of working on a on a bunch of TV shows, so he couldn't do it. But I want to ask him to remind me of the nights that we spent together because I drank a lot back then. I mean, we were, you know, we were drinking, man. I mean, I was having a really good times. So I don't remember things that clearly. That's why I ask everybody, can you help me? I'm like, what am I doing a rewatch for? But we really do a deep dive. It's not a behind the scenes thing. Um, so yeah, but I remember, I remember you playing the piano. Yeah, I played the piano and it was actually my first time ever being drunk. Because oh. it was the first time I'd had more than one drink. And I had this, I had a Cosmopolitan and then I had another Cosmopolitan and I hadn't eaten dinner, which is dumb. And as you just said a moment ago, you drink them and they go right to your head. Yeah. Being a newbie drinker, I didn't realize they're packed with sugar. So of course you get drunk really fast. And um, as it turned out, Michael, the piano player who was the professional piano player there that night took his break 
just in time for me to finish my second Cosmopol. And then Michael was like, okay, you're up. Let's play me something. And he pulled up a chair and he sat mere feet from me, right next to the bench, watching this wondrous event that was about to take place. And I didn't realize I was drunk because I'd never been drunk before until I started to play this Chopin song. <laughs> and oh, I Chopin. learned that I cannot, I can play my own songs or pop songs if I'm drunk with no problem. But there's something about the, the muscle memory of classical music that does not work with being drunk. So I oh God. was terrible. I like my brain was two clicks beyond my hands and they just in sync. I, and I've always wanted to ask him. He was sitting right next to me and he said his wife is a classical pianist. So surely he must have known something wasn't right. But he said he didn't. No, I, I'm sure I, it was beautiful. I feel like if you were drunk, Alicia, I'm pretty, I wasn't there, but I'm pretty sure everyone else was hammered and no one noticed probably. (laughs) So you probably have a better memory of it than anybody else. Yeah. And keeping up with us is no small feat back in those days. So I'm sure being in that place, it was infectious. And, you know, we were all like, like hedonists in those days. <laughs> it was so much fun. I had such a good time on oh, that. I'm set. so glad. And Jim Gandolfini was the nicest. And I always appreciated it so much because you know, I didn't have any scenes with him, just met him and Edie at the table read for the episode. Uh But both of them, you know, every time I would run into them at something, um, they always took time to say hello to me. They always remembered me. And and Jim always especially just interested in how I was and thanking me for the work I did on the episode. And Sweetest. You were part of the Soprano family forever. It's just amazing. Yeah. Um, Okay, so where can people see you sing right now on these virtual shows? Because, Chris, you have to hear her sing. I mean, she's beautiful. I I heard. I I heard. um, Beautiful. Thank you. Your last song was called, what was your last that you put out? I saw a music video that was great. Oh, oh I, I love, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. There were a few um, for that, for the album 15,000 Days, the EP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, your voice is stunning. Stunning. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, you very much. If <laughs> I could play music, I would never do another thing with the rest of my life. I would be playing music all day, every day. You couldn't well, pull me out of, out of my cave. Well, that's why we married musicians, Dre and I, because we yeah. we just want to be close to it. My husband's a musician too, and she's oh, wow. her boyfriend. So anyway. I work my way. I've been working my way through the different different um, band <laughs> members. I'm on. I'm, I'm I'm dating a drummer right now. I'm I'm in the per, in the percu- I'm still in percussion. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Alicia. The, gr- the old groupie whore here, just like my character on The Sopranos. Oh my um, god! But what is the name of that site you call? It's called. Um, no, I'm not going to say it. You say it because I'm going to mess uh, it up. Well, my website is aliciawitmusic.com, and it has links to everything. The last EP that I put out is called Fifteen Thousand Days, which is the age that I was 
when I put it out. 15,000 days oh, old. Wow. Oh, my I like that. But and what is the virtual the virtual site where you're playing live? That is, I'm interested in that. I yeah. am personally interested in that. Those are, that's a site called Stage It. And Stage It, okay. It's, it's fantastic. It's been such a powerful way to connect with people. Um, I did a three-month series this past spring when we were first in serious lockdown mode with this pandemic and all the fear and isolation. And one of the things I, two of the things I love about Stage It, well, three things. It's a, you can charge whatever you wish. So my admission is 50 cents, Amazing. which is the stage has, or you can give more if you want to, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not about the money. It's about the community. And I love that they have great audio and visual. Um, I just do it here from my living room, going between oh, my camera and board. And the other amazing thing about Stage It is there is an old style message, like a chat chat room that is right alongside the virtual stage. And there is a group that have called themselves my family. And yeah. it's about 50 people who have actually become friends through these shows. I love so I'll that. play my songs and they're just on the other side of it. Like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Oh, how did that thing work out? It's just amazing. No, and, that's cool. Oh, I love it. Especially, I love it. especially during this time. I'm, I'm doing them every Saturday night again this fall. So yes, I did it last two Saturdays and I'll do it this Saturday. And, this and Saturday. you do it right from home. Yeah. It's so virtual. Awesome. Is it just Dre? you by yourself? It's virtual. I, 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 you know what? I have, it, I have issues because I, She's like, I, was, from um, home? I was one of these. <laughs> I was very upset about how people were talking about virtual concerts before the pandemic hit. And I was one of these really vocal um, pains in the asses about how it can't, this can't go down this way. This is before anything happened with us being on lockdown. Um, I got very, cause we're, Chris and I have an alcohol line that we're starting. So our whole thing is about a community and being social and being with your, your girls, you know, like really be And our drink is geared towards women and stuff. And what, the whole, like alcohol is it? Oh, it's, um, it's like a it's, lemony. It's, it's infused, with some, it's infused with some special things yes. that are good for you. We're not allowed to talk about it too much yet, but eventually, eventually you'll get a case of it when, it, yes. when we, when, <laughs> but, we'll you, but drink slow, back. Alicia. Drink I always, slow. I always have, have drinks when I'm playing. So I might have to I hand it. deliver I it to you when if I'm in Nashville. I have drinks when I'm podcasting. <laughs> That's why she's I hammered have. right now. I'm yeah. hammered. You think that this is coffee? Uh-uh. Just joking. I, just oh, I love water. that you really are Guess drinking. who doesn't drink I anymore? This guy. It's you a little grunt limit. Dre just, oh, Dre's very, very fancy. Dre's very picky when she drinks, but she, and she, yeah. it's the funniest thing over how she's like, I'm hammered. Meanwhile, she was like, more, like, you, you can never tell. No one ever knows when <laughs> I'm drunk. exact same. <laughs> no. Anyway, I went Ever. off subject. But yes, the online play, I mean, the virtual shows, amazing. Right? Is that what yes. we're talking about? <laughs> it's, I, 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 I guess. We, we, we diverted. 
Um, oh, the alcohol line. Yes. I, I'm now, I mean, this is what happens when we start to lose our train of thought. And our, and our podcast is so loose that we make no sense half the time. But we are going to let you go because we have taken enough of your time. But Alicia, will you do me a favor? Yeah. Will you take, will you take us out with your piano? Yes. I mean, it's I mean, right I hope there. it records okay, because it may not record great on, on Zoom, but we could try and see if it Let's works. Because look at your big, beautiful piano there, and you're in Nashville. Oh, my God. And your arms, by the way. <laughs> I know. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank by the you. way, beautiful. freaking gorgeous. I just yes. have to say that before I say goodbye to you. I Freaking yes. gorgeous. Bye, thank Alicia. you. I I, I I appreciate your advice about the abs all those years ago. And <laughs> Don't do anything. Consistency. And I apply it to my body. I love it. Tequila. Tequila for the abs. Tequila for the abs. Okay. Just rub it on. I play it that to us it's in the middle of the day oh, oh my god just watching for, you the your movements oh my god the breathtaking oh my god Thank and for you. those of you who don't know alicia was found am i correct from when you were a little kid on on that's incredible am i crazy is that where david lynch found you that's 100 percent true except on um that's incredible i wasn't playing the piano i was doing shakespeare but i was on yeah. Oh, that's even, can you do that too, to, to, to lead us out? I'm just kidding. <laughs> just a little Shakespeare. No, it's no big deal. Oh, my, my God. So good. Oh thank God, you so much. That's so beautiful. Alicia, thank, thank you. Thank you for our quick phone call in the middle of our D-Girl episode. Thank you for having me. Thank Thanks. you so much. Oh, my God. Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a thank beautiful you. night. You too. Bye, lady. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay. Back, back to our gangster show. <laughs> yes. Back to our gangster show. What scene? Oh, I know where we are. We're um, Chris. This is a good scene. Where Chris and Amy visit that film, John Favreau. They visit yes, the and you film go set. from that scene with Melfi where they say the only absolute truth is death. Yeah. And then you cut to the film set where these two girls are about to kill each other. Yeah. Um, and Amy, she has that line. She says, the silencers underscore their voiceless places in society about, you know, their guns with the silencers. You know, it, it, just, it's just so... Oh, oh, what The opening line that Favreau has to, um, to, to Christopher uh-huh. is uh, he thinks that he's the guy coming to interview him Mm -hmm. on my favorite place for breakfast. (laughs) I know. I mean, what a D bag. 
D-bag. But, I mean, they yeah. got that, that they got that message clearly across. And then you have Janine Garofalo, Sandra Bernhardt looking for the, I mean, that was funny. It's just and, ridiculous. And Michael's like, oh, king's of comedy. Doesn't he? It's king of comedy, first of all. Oh, king's of comedy over here. But that's, uh, that's, that's probably the, why they picked her. But that's absurd, too, because he's, like, so obsessed with the movies and film and Hollywood, and he can't even – it's kind of like me. He messes up every name. <laughs> he messes it all yeah, up. Yeah, he's not an aficionado. No. Um, oh, my God. But by the way, that was filming where I eat in New York every day oh. um, at Bar Pedi. It's I think it's right there near West 4th Street on 6th mm-hmm. Avenue. Um the, there's like an empty bit. I mean, there's also a spot where all the kids play basketball, the adults and everything, where the McDonald's is next to Manetta Lane. And Manetta Lane is where I usually um, sublet when I'm in New York these days since my house burned down. But that West 4th Street spot over there, that 6th Avenue spot where they were filming in that little lot, mm-hmm. that's one of my um, one of my haunts, like that, that neighborhood. I think that's right next to Bar Pedi. Although that could have been Tribeca, but I think it was... So anyway. you so you just want to tell everybody where you live in New York and where you hang out? It's, you're it's so fine. stupid. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I know, but it's funny. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> I was in a gated um I was in a gated area in in Manhattan. It's all good. Okay, good. <laughs> good. Oh my god, we don't need any um craziness. I'm not there anymore. I am here now. You're an LA girl. Well, you're a New York girl. I want to go home in New York. Oh, I know. I know. Um, the only absolute truth is death and New York. And New York. And New York. <laughs> but anyway, Christopher is majorly out of his league. I mean, he's out of his league when he's in Manhattan, period. Yeah. Um, he's super out of his league. We've got a lesbian director. You know, he goes, she's the director, like a, like a woman could have a job that wasn't, you know, behind a pot and a wooden spoon. Yeah. Um, she's got her big G-string sticking up. Uh, she's explaining the whole silencer thing to him as, as though he might understand something literary like that. And he would never. Um, I mean, all he has to offer is... Pukak. Pukak. And they're like, great, great. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. He's like I enamored. Then John Favreau's like enamored by him. Yeah. It's and so I, well, ridiculous. they didn't, they're like clueless there, but they just, they just succumb to it because they don't know what the hell is going on. And again, it's just showing the absurdity of our industry. First of all, that would never happen. But um, especially, you know, a show like The Sopranos is the antithesis. Like if anyone would ever say to David Chase, why doesn't this one call this one a bukyak? First of all, David Chase would have already thought of it, but if anybody ever merely suggested anything to him about his art, they get fired. Yeah. You know? So it's the antithesis of what works there um, in, our, in our real soprano world. But he thought he was in. Do you see how happy he was when he put on those headphones? Yeah. He was like, he yeah. Was- and she was like, oh, he's in. And he's like looking at her and she's looking at him. I mean, it was funny. Yeah. It, it was, was very, very, very. Um, this episode felt more out of left for Sopranos. It felt more TV esque. It felt yeah. more, more film esque. It felt more like 
a put on like standard TV. Yes, it felt more like standard TV for a minute. Yeah, um, because of the storyline, but then it doesn't because it's the Sopranos and it's it's taking the piss out of all of that stuff to totally. a degree. Totally. Um, but I love when Janine Garofalo talks about um, in the scene that she's about to die and she doesn't get to have the, an egg cream from Gem Spa on St. Mark's. And Gem Spa on St. Mark's, that's where my house was that burned down. And Gem Spa just closed. And that mm. was my number one place. So they just sent me T-shirts from, from Gem Spa and everything that Bama wears all the time because I was one of their big supporters and I lived there for 23 years. Like I was a staple there. I know nothing about it. Was it a bakery? It's a no, it's a, it's a newsstand in New Uh, York. It's uh a, it's a, it's an actual state, like a stationary store, I guess. Mm -hmm. Magazine store was magazine store that was there for, I don't even know how many years, but it's lived through the punk era and the Mm seventies. I mean, it's been through everything and, um, they're known for the best egg cream in New York city. Oh, yeah. I'm hungry. And it's it's gone. And she's talking about it, that she's about to die because it's all a big nothing. She's going to die without her freaking egg cream. <laughs> yeah. And I think about my apartment burning down right down the street from there and all the things that I coveted and that I saved and that were important to me and how it was all a, a big nothing. Yeah. Because it all went up in flames. Because what and I really think about? Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Tell. Ask me. I was going to say. Well, what really matters in life when you die? It's connection. It's yeah, all your connections. Even, you know. I was thinking about this episode too, and I was thinking. I was thinking a lot about the whole all the existential themes here and how they're pushing it so hard in this particular episode. And I was thinking about when I was cleaning out my mom's um, East Hampton basement and now she has dementia, which I've mentioned, and my dad's passed. And now it's just my brothers and myself and we were airbnb the house. Mm-hmm. So I'm packing all her stuff up in all these pictures. She has boxes of photographs. Now we all have our cell phones filled with photographs. But if we don't do something with them and we don't have a place to pass them on to, but the excess... You know, when you just keep taking pictures, 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 and the excess stuff. I mean, there's stuff everywhere in this house, wall to wall stuff. You know, I'm like a friggin' half a hoarder. Um, my brothers didn't want anything of theirs because men usually don't want that stuff, but daughters do. Um, I didn't want a lot of it and I felt terrible because I thought, I don't want that all these vacations they took to Europe with their friends. Like, why should I have boxes upon boxes of these photographs? They saved every magazine clipping I was ever in. Boxes and boxes of magazines, of covers or insides, anything. And I'm, But like 15 of each magazine. Oh, my God. What do you do with all that shit? Yeah. You know? And then just little trinkets that were important to them at one point that are not now. And certain things I keep. Like, I got my my... Right behind this computer, I have the whole, the address to the front of my childhood home that was, I ripped down from the, yeah. from the front of the house. But, um, again, I was like, so what was, what did their lives mean? Mm-hmm. If nobody wants the <gasps> leftovers of their lives uh. and that's going to be us. So what does it all mean? Is it a big fucking nothing? Nothing. Is what it- was our purpose was was it the memories and the things that we've left behind? Because I don't, 
I, you know, I try to, when you try to get over the death of someone or mourning someone, which is what I've been thinking about in terms of monkey lately, because I don't know how much time she has left. I think about, uh, I, it's, it's intense. I'm, right. I'm going to stop here. I'm, you know, I'm just going to stop here. No, we're going to get into, we're going to get, we're going to get into Chris takes Amy and Favreau <laughs> to his favorite pizza place and they all get a Coke and a slice. I know, I know. I would do anything for a Coke and a slice. <laughs> but anyway, what I was talking about before, that's some deep shit, dude. I know, you I know. know. It's some deep stuff, you know. Forget about existentialism and all of these brands and different ways of, like, encapsulating it all. It's really, when it's real, when it's really happening in your life with with your parents and your elders and even ourselves, um, even with this whole thing that we've been going through in the world right now where everyone is at, with so much loss, um, it is, uh, it really, it's like the Sopranos. It, nothing answers any questions. You just ha- keep having more and more questions, uh, more and more questions. Yeah. And nothing, no, you know, there's no answers. I'm not making any sense right no, now. No, that makes I'm sense. so hungry. All I want to do is eat the bread from. The uprising <laughs> From food uprising. Bread. I know. It's so good. So, mm. yes. Chris. I love this scene takes Amy and Favreau to his favorite pizza place. Um, mm. It was a great scene. With the girl it's with the awesome face. It's an awesome scene. I don't think the makeup was great on the chick. Do you? I mean, the bur- it, I mean, it wasn't bad. The acid? I don't know. I don't think it was great. But um, he tells his story. Makeup was different back then. Yeah? It was different. Yeah, we weren't as advanced yet. I guess not. A while ago. So freaking while ago. Even if you look at tattoos from back then, they don't look as real. I'm just going to pick my nose here on film. It's cool, right? It's good for our listeners who can't see it. So now they can hear it. (laughs) Um, Put a little chapstick on. So you see that they order a coconut slice, which clearly separates them. They're from a different world. They're not Christmas people. No, 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 no. It's no. not, it wasn't a coconut slice. It was a Coke and a slice. But okay. anyway, the more important in this scene um, is that Favreau, John Favreau, Chris, you can relate to this. When you take, like, remember when you took me to Silicon Valley to talk to all of those, like, Oh, my like, God. That's a really whole other podcast. Yeah. She, we, we were trying to, you know, we were doing our thing for our alcohol line and we were hobnobbing and taking some private planes around, like things that we don't normally oh do. Oh my God. We like, oh my God, what are we doing? It was, but we insane. And we have to, I'm going to post, we're going to post some of those pictures or those videos because you were freaking out. And I have videos of you on that plane freaking out. We're going to put them on Gangster Goddess. Um, G-G-B. Well, I don't like to fly at all. So now Chris is like, we're going on his private plane. Then we get to the plane and it's not just a private plane. It's a really small one. I mean, a fancy one. And not only did that, I mean, first of all, this is not why I'm telling the story. It was more about what happened when we got there. But um, we almost died. In no, we plane. almost totally died. Yeah, that's a true story. But we're not, we can tell that story another time. What was more important because it relates to this. Okay. Well, because it relates to this episode. Okay. Um, Is (laughs) so we're there. We're bringing alcohol to this event. 
So we're supplying everyone with this drink. They all want to try it. These are all really big, heavy hitters yeah. um, in, in, the, in Silicon Every, Valley. Yeah. And people that are inventing certain medicines and contraptions for better health. People that have done things that are remarkable, you know? Yeah, remarkable. Really intelligent <laughs> Smart, we had no, scientists. We had no we business. We had no right being there. <laughs> we had no business being there. We were like, it was the biggest joke of the entire night between her and I. I think I think we were kicking each other under the table like, what the hell are we doing here? Yeah, it was funny. Yeah, but, she, but Chris <laughs> makes this insane drink, which is what we're working on, and it's going to be coming out next year. Um, so she, she brings these mixed <laughs> jugs of her drink to the party. And everyone, we get drunk. <laughs> so now all of these fancy billionaires, millionaires, billionaires, are yeah. drunk with their wives. And because I'm there and I'm talking and I'm cursing nonstop, all yeah. of a sudden, everyone's cursing like crazy. And every husband and wife team is looking at each other saying, well, why is she cursing? Why is my wife who never yeah. curses? Fuck this. Fuck that. Bleh, bleh. And, I, and I look at Chris and I go, yeah, this is what happens when I'm around people. Yeah. It's, this is what happens. <laughs> They're all cursing now. You're a bad element, man. <laughs> but it's, it's like a thing where you just want to make sure that. I don't know what it is. Like you want to fit in. So, and, and you also feel comfortable and you're like, Fitting so anyhow, in. that's happening with John Favreau here with Christopher and Amy is clocking the fact that John Favreau can't stop cursing. Wait, you know what? Little another fact. Okay. What? This song in the background, Fleetwood Mac song, right? Do you know the words of the song that's playing in the background? All your I think Swingtown was playing at first. Steve Miller Band. No, well, towards the end when he and they were talking about swingers. Yeah, and then when he starts telling the story of the acid and stuff, the Rhiannon song came comes on by Fleetwood oh, Mac. Oh, Rhiannon. And um, I love that song. I love that song. And it's, she, it's the, it says, "All your life, you're you've never seen a woman taken by the wind." This is what they're saying. There's your wind, right? There's my wind. Would you stay if she promised you heaven? Will you ever win? Christopher. Mic drop. Will you wow. ever win? And then it says you're never seen something like that. I read I, I should have wrote down the rest, but there, there there was more lyrics that was all about like Christopher never being seen, never being heard. Just, wow. And the wind. That's awesome. It's all about the wind oh, from David Chase. I'm, I cracked the code. It's wind that well, means David, nothing. You know, him and music, that's a, a huge, and, and the wind in a lot yeah. of those scenes was the music. But the wind, like I said, he, used, he I think he's used it to score certain scenes yeah. as opposed to using um, music. And you know, we all know he doesn't use a score. No, um, it's all about him. Cre- he the nothingness and all of it. Words. Hold on. Well, while you're looking for that, I'll just keep going on yes. about um, how John Favreau's from Queens. He and I um, got really friendly on on the set, even though he and I never had scenes together. For some reason, we were hanging out a lot. But I guess it was. I guess that's when he asked me if I would do his movie Made. And here's another in, um, instance where life is imitating art because you have a director, an actor here who has not 
yet been a director. It's his first time. Um, this is going to be his first time when he makes the movie Made. So he asks me to do Made with him and Vince. He knew that I was friends with Vince. And um, even though it was uh, no lines, it was just like, just be here. Which, by the way, was not the best idea on my part because I had to fly in from another movie set on a red eye just to be an extra in my friend's movie. Well, that's what you which, do. You're always that well, person. Well, I was burnt out. And I ended up arguing with John Favreau on the set of his own movie <sighs> because he was working me so hard because I had never done improv before. Oh. I was a T I'm a TV, I'm used to sticking to my script and I was nervous about Keep the talking. improvs. Keep um okay. <laughs> oh, look at our room. There's our room. I miss it. I miss it too. How about my room? Um anyway, Wait. So yeah, John Favreau had, was not a director yet. He was still an actor, and he was about to make a movie called Made about um, a maf the mafia a mafia genre. So him being on The Sopranos, trying to extract information from a mafioso, it's it's so enmeshed in weird ways. Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's so many little connections here. And the actual sh movie's called Made. Um, and I was I was really sort of taken with... I, I'm, I'm still not... Not taken. I'm still not sure what came first. Like if Todd knew that... If he knew John, if he mm -hmm. knew John Favreau, um, if that was why they chose him. Um, I also... When, when Christopher says to him about swingers... Mm -hmm. There was a pussy assness to it. Yeah, yeah. No, he pussy just like, assness, right? He, pussy assness I mean, his, to it. His He's like, you guys are trying to be Frank and Dean, but there, there was like this pussy, this pussy ass. ass. He, he even comments that the acting's not great at some point. I know. He's um, like putting him down. He's like, oh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's but, so um, I found the words. I oh, found them. Oh, what is it? Go. Um, all, your, all your life, you've never seen... A uh, woman taken all the uh, woman taken by the wind. Would you stay if she promised you heaven? Will you ever win? Will you ever win? Basically, it's yeah. It's I mean that's what was saying playing in the well, background. Well, she didn't win when she tried to be something that she was not. And look at Chris. And Christopher is not gonna win. Mm -mm. Trying to be something that he's not. But here's the thing. And he's never seen he never, either. He's he never not goes seen. the distance. But he's not. But he he's, doesn't also not seen he's not seen in either life he doesn't feel connected with the mafia he's not a made guy he's not seen by tony really tony's like you know overlooking him and having furio take some of his jobs yeah but and now he's not the same way with the hollywood guys he continuously gives up he's never going to be seen if he keeps giving up on the level that he just never sees anything through yeah that's true you know um, I see this with a lot of the people that I've, um, that I've, you know, not so much people that I've grown up with, but, you know, a lot of that sort of, um, I've, I've mentioned this before where, where a lot of folks will think, well, if I just take a few acting classes, I'll be an actor. If I just take a screenwriting class, I'm going to make a movie. Yeah. It's just not like that. It doesn't mm -hmm. work like that. Like I'll have friends that'll say to me, you know, I just started acting 
um, can I meet with your agent? I'm like, they're not going to meet with you. It doesn't work like that. They're not going to, they, they barely talk to me. They don't want to talk to you. Oh, I just almost pulled the, my whole the, computer across the, the room. The balls on those people. My God. I mean, I you, mean. but it's just, an, but it, what it is, is it's, un, it's just not living in reality and, and people that are entitled and that have been given, you know, when you're in that world, in the mafia world, you're not used to people saying no to you. No. You know what I mean? Like you get what you want. Yeah. Basically. Um, so I anyway, I th- the last thing about this scene is that I found interesting, and of course it ties into the whole episode, is that Favreau um, only wants to analyze Christopher because he wants to make a movie about Crazy Joe Gallo. And Christopher knows who Crazy Joe Gallo is, but on the surface, because he, I think he mentioned that movie, um, the, uh, the guy who can shoot straight or one of those. But, but Crazy Joe Gallo was actually a... Um, notorious for other things and he says it in it in there favreau says that he was tragic and flawed um that he was complicated and that he that he that he wanted to lean into painting and that he was Mm -hmm. had this like sort of yearning and hunger for the arts um so he was very much um in that um existential sort of world of trying to figure it all out, the nothingness. So, yeah, I think that anybody who probably is in the mafia has these philosophies, even though they tout Catholicism, they don't realize that, you know, you're living a life of of death and destruction. The only truth is is death. The only thing that's certain is death. That you're going to die, Yeah. Yeah. And you're not going to be counting um, your money when you're dead. That's mm. for sure. As Monkey would say, no hay un banco en el infierno. And that means? There's no bank in hell. Oh. <laughs> she used to say it to my grandmother because she said my grandmother was so was so awful and she was so cheap and she wouldn't give money to anyone. Uh-huh. And she would always say, Missy Ray, no hay un banco en el infierno con <laughs> Oh, my God. All right, yeah. so Tony recruits Pussy to talk to AJ about life. That's the next scene, um, which is just what it is. Um, and then Adriana is upset that Chris went to the um, movie set without her. Aw. How often have you been jealous in a situation like that when you were younger? What, that someone got to do something that I – or by a guy? No, just um... – when your guy wouldn't be, like if say when Dave was on the road with Velvet Revolver and mm-hmm. they were having a big party in town oh. and he was at rehearsal yeah, and he didn't say, hey, we're all going to this party after rehearsal. He just went to the, the party and didn't tell you. He is so not that guy. He's so like no, over thoughtful. Would you feel terrible? But I would feel terrible. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, oh my God, yeah. And oh, she wanted to go so bad. She's like, I was with John. She goes, it's a cupo? <laughs> no, no, not it's a cupo. John Favreau. <laughs> She's great. She's she would have loved to have had pizza. What would she have wanted the pizza? She would have gotten all dressed up to go to the pizza parlor. Oh my God. Everything is skin oh. tight or naked. Yeah. She would have been like, oh, my God, I love you, Sue. What is that? To to Alicia. Yeah. I can't believe he cheated on her in this episode. 
I was bummed. Oh, I forgot about that. I wasn't right? even thinking about that. He cheated, yeah, he cheated on her twice. With Wednesday Adams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He totally cheated. And she was like, I don't know. It was so cheesy. So cheesy. Um, Matt and Pussy <laughs> talked to AJ at the batting cages and the, the importance of t- traditions. Um, more more heavy-handed existentialism here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He yep. says, um, what does the kid say? Uh, Pussy's kid says, um, well, Nietzsche wound up talking to horses. Sarta's a fucking fraud. And he mm. copped it all from Hildegard. Um, where you should start is Kierkegaard. And then... And then AJ quotes Master P. I'm like, this is perfect. I mean, that's just like a boom. Yeah. Smack all of that, all of that um, literary philosophy down the drain with some Master P. But again, this kid, Matt, knowing kids from our neighborhoods, they're not talking about Kierkegaard and 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 Sarta and or Nietzsche or or Camus or any of this stuff. I don't think kids They're from that not. neighborhood, kids from any neighborhood. Matt wasn't isn't old. How old's Matt on the show? No, but he's older and going to college. So, but yeah. still, no, they they're not teaching don't. this in New Jersey in the nineties. No. They're not teaching it now. I teach my kids this shit. I'm like, hey, look, look at this. You want to read a really good book? Speaking of all the existentialism stuff, the it's right in front of me, oh actually. God. Oh, my God. You have it. Impressive. I have all of them because all my books burned in my fire. So I collect all these cheap versions of the, all the books that I used to love when I was a kid. But I wasn't 14 or 16. I was at least 20. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, you're in a different mindset when you're that age. It's a, it's one in one in a million that those kids talk about that. Um, we were is, also more innocent back then, and kids are more are questioning everything more these now, days. I yeah, guess. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. So the next scene is where Chris and Amy get into it at the hotel room at the Soho Grand. She yeah. has those purple undies out, and I noticed that those were part of Adriana's wardrobe, I think. <gasps> and they were just used And to... she throws them on from the thing. She's like, come yeah, sit here. Yeah. Come sit here. He said he yeah. really liked her. Was he going to leave Adriana for her? Oh, <laughs> I think he might have left. I think he was like, here's a smart, successful... You know, Adriana's like, I just oh, working. Oh, I just started barking, and look what happened. Oh, her oh. dog, Blanky. There he is. Look who just came to to rub his weenie on my boob. Ew, right. <laughs> She's joking. Oh, I love him so. He's a little much. dog. He's like a lap dog. But um, he's a chewini. He's yes. So um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that, I, it seemed like they were like it. getting deeper than what what it really was or Chris was gonna maybe he was you know what he was enamored by her as well so there you go well yeah again it was um it's like it's it's what she's a she's foreign to him it's like Tony Soprano with Melfi mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah they, you know the she dresses smart you know the classy sophisticated it's like the 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 what is it called the um Forbid, not forbidden fruit, but you know it's it's foreign. Mm-hmm. Do you want it? You want, you want to touch that? Yeah, he's never been with a girl like her. No, 
No, he's used to the girls <coughs> that are wearing the skin tight, not like looking like secretaries or successful. Totally. Doesn't he say to me at one point that mm-hmm. maybe I should... First, he said, she doesn't dress like you. You dress like a woman. Yeah. But I think he says to her, he said to her at one point something about wearing something. Like he said to Carmela or to Irina, Tony Soprano said to Irina, can you wear oh, yes. something more like, like sophisticated? Doc, like more Dr. Melfi. He wanted her to dress yeah. like Dr. Melfi, his guma. I think Christopher does that with, with Adriana, but I'm not 100% sure. But he might just put her down because he gets dissed by her. Who knows? Yeah, and then we go into one of the best scenes of my favorite scenes is Livia and AJ at the nur- were they at the nursing home? Is that she? She's not in the hospital. She's in the hospital bed. I think they're at her nursing home, right? She just nursing, has that type. Yeah, but I'm still confused because she's still in the regular part of the hospital. But I think that a lot of these nursing homes have like um, they have sections. Yeah, so she's still in the hospital version. But my favorite line is she goes, "Yeah, he can go shit in his hat." <laughs> that's such a ginzo thing have you ever heard anyone in your family yes. say that that was something my grandmother would say that all the time oh my god that's so funny um she tells the dying people story again the young people dying about the oh. teenagers who were incarcerated incinerated in a car accident because they're they were wearing their seatbelt so nothing's ever good enough you're you're doomed if you do you're doomed if you don't with Livia yeah. constantly. I didn't know I had a grandson always with the guilt and the manipulation constantly. Yeah, but, um, he says it would have been interesting if the kids had died. He said that? He said that. He said that would have been interesting, um, which I thought was, you know, cr- does he say it in this scene or does he say it somewhere else? I don't I know. It he but says this- it. I'm not sure where. But, this, um, this is where she goes on to say, um, don't expect happiness. People let you down. I'm not naming names. But in the end, you die in your own arms. It's all a big nothing. Um, you and know who want, what? Oh, what makes you think you're so special? Yeah. I had an ex-boyfriend that would say that to me on repeat. Really? What makes you think you're so special? No. Um, in the end, you die in your own arms, pretty much, saying you're alone. You come into this world alone, and you leave this world alone. I, while I know it's true, yeah, of course, we all know this is true, even when you're dealing with a monkey in the hospital, and she's there by herself right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's true. But you really don't need to hear that on the regular from your partner. And um, it kind of, you know, you make a decision, is this you know, is this the is this the the ideal that I want to succumb to with a partner as in a relationship? Is that is that what's warm and fuzzy when you get into bed at night? No, not, not necessarily. Not, not according to the Notebook, Dre. The Notebook. The notebook. They- <laughs> oh, the, I've never seen the oh Notebook. Oh my god! I they, know. They, at the end, and I will spoil this for everybody listening. If you haven't seen it, you have to go watch it because it doesn't even matter if I'm spoiling it. They die in each other's arms. Yeah. <sighs> it's so good. We're so, going to die in your arms. I will take you. I will let you die in my... No, I don't want you to die, period. But anyway. Move. But that's such a... That's such, I hate that concept. Oh, I God. Whoever true, your ex-boyfriend but, was sounds miserable. 
I don't know anyway, which one you're. I don't know which on. one you're. I don't know which one you're talking oh, there's about. So many. I'm like Elizabeth <laughs> Taylor at this point. But that's not a really. We're never very... going to name names, but we'll talk about them all. All, all of them. We'll dish... People will have to decode. <laughs> <laughs> but oh my God, Livia! To have a boyfriend that, that quotes Livia's quotes—that's that's a lot. Um, yeah. She's a mouthful, man. She's just always, always. Oh, I love the scenes with her so much. So much. But it's all about the dullness of life, what happens in between life's big moments, and how we compare ourselves. Well, Livia's always the glass is half empty, which, um, is this according to, uh, yeah, um, Soprano's Autopsy said that um, David Chase has a reputation for being cynical. Right, I mean that's an I don't know that you don't you don't need a you don't need um soprano autopsy to tell you that you just need to ask me really because I would <laughs> have thought that I don't know I mean, look look at the show the yeah. show is loaded with the with cynicism oh my I didn't know God, if it was him it? or if it was his surroundings like his mother I heard that he related his mother to Olivia right. Cause I don't know my I I have a grandmother who's cynical like Livia. My mom's got a little bit of it. I don't think I have it, and may, not in friendship. Me a little bit in work, as you might know. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna plead the fifth right now. I'm gonna get <laughs> into that conversation. Good job, Jay. Um, good job. But uh, yeah, there's uh, I well what I've heard is that his wife, um, David Chase's wife. Uh, pushed him into writing about his mom because his mom was so funny. Oh, okay. um, her character was really funny. And my grandmother was really funny. Mm-hmm. But she was filled with doom and gloom. And she was a, like a, a pretty much a nihilist and, a, and it, probably an existentialist without even knowing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a martyr, you know, all of these sort of things that you get wrapped up in. And um, Livia reminds me of my grandmother so much. But yeah, I mean that that scene is um, her her constant reiterating how purposeless life is. She she put herself in this position where she just has no she has no purpose. She has no love in her life. She has no love, no connection, no connection, nothing. Yeah. While I sit here and stroke my dog in my lap. You're such Elizabeth Taylor. 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 I'm stroking Taylor. Him. No one can see him now on YouTube. He's he's blending in to the carpet. Yes. Um, I was going to say, you know, I feel like she's always comparing herself to others and, you know, that whole that whole section, which she always does with like so-and-so's son always comes to visit or he calls his mother. Yeah, but maybe his mother wasn't such a... Pukak. 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 Am I saying it right? Is that how you say it? Pukak. Like with a P. Pukak. Pukak. Is that Pukyak. it? I don't know. Yeah, I'm I was impressed gonna... that Mike, that Michael got that one because not everybody gets that one. That's a good one. Um, okay, yeah. so Chris with Favreau in the hotel room. Such a good scene, right? Oh, my God. this He's Joe Pesci in the scene. Michael jo- um, Imperioli is Joe Pesci in the scene, 100%. His um, over-the-top psycho behavior. I love that that Favreau goes, guess I won't order any espresso. I mean, he's such a geek, Favreau, in this. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. But I, then- but I feel like Chris is a geek too because Chris, uh, to me, this scene was showing Chris does not know how to handle himself. Like he was getting no. overly aggressive. It's uh, he wants to fit in this world, and he thinks like his way of being a thug is gonna like bomb them by wrestling, and then it gets weird, you know. And then he keeps going with it. He's just never gonna fit in. This well, is not it's it. Not, I mean, Chris is uh, obviously over the top, and he's coked up. But but again, when he starts horsing around with Favreau, I mean, he just asked him if he's strapped and if he ever killed anyone. Yeah. I mean, you're asking big questions. I mean, even Michael Franzis, he was like appreciative that we did not ask him if he ever killed anyone when I know. we interviewed him. I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, Christopher's a live wire, so of course he's going to, and a show off, so of course he's going to show off his gun. And for reasons like that, the way he conducts himself is the reason he's not a made guy. Exactly. He's, he's still so immature um, and so insecure and in all of those things. Um, because he's looking for that arc because he's, he has this, this crazy self-awareness, but not the kind that Tony has. And he doesn't have the, he doesn't have the backbone that Tony has or the strength of character. But, um, in this scene, (laughs) when they're talking about Christopher's screenplay, I would love to read that screenplay, by the way, because he's like, (laughs) He go the taps on his shoes are his trademark. <laughs> this is like some 1930s, like, um, and he, he goes, the roof, we could, we'll make it soft tar so that you don't hear his taps in that one scene. I mean, it's so off the wall. But it's I, off the I, wall, I but it. for him, he thought it was genius. Like, the taps are the trademark. That, for him, he was like, that's great. Like, in his own head when he's writing that. Yeah. You know, he thought that was just the... No, but he knew he was having a hard time writing. Like, yeah. um, oh, my God, I don't know. It's but so the, uh, the, then the pussy-assness of John Favreau, again, yeah. when he goes, no, 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 I have, I have dialogue tomorrow, so my, 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 my voice is going to be a little scratchy. Yeah. Totally. Because Christopher was was had him in a stranglehold. I mean, I that scene. Yeah, he scares the shit out of him. He's like, all right, all right, yeah. Um, and, and Favs is a big guy. John Favreau's a big guy, and 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 Michael's tiny. You I know? know, but he's a scrapper, and he's also connected to the mob. So of course, he's Favreau's yeah. like, what the hell's what what did I get myself into? Um. Chris is late for dinner with Adriana, Tony, and Carmela. Um, oh, this scene crushes my soul. I know. I know. She's talking about getting married, and he said they're not even engaged yet, right? Didn't she say? Well, a, she's uncomfortable at dinner again, even with her own people. You can see how uncomfortable she yeah. is. She's just trying to make small talk, but she pushes through. Mm-hmm. And she says, with all the flowers coming in bloom, I would love to be a June bride. Oh, I know. She's so simple. <laughs> She's so simple. Oh. Um, and they're talking about the caterers and all this shit. And then he shows up and he says, um, he says, she says, I ordered you some pasta fazul to start and a little antipast. They have some rare imported salami. I remember when I had to say these lines, by the way. You do. I did not. I hated it. Really? Why? I felt so fucking... I felt like the worst actor on the planet. Really? Why? I felt like I was... 
because they were, it was hard for me to play these scenes. First of all, I was so nervous to be sitting at a table with Jim and Edie. I can imagine. A nervous wreck. That might have been one of my first scenes with Edie. <gasps> oh, my I think. God. I can't think of many scenes that I actually, it's just us in the scene. And I think, you know, as a young actress and everything, I was petrified and I didn't, and I had to cry. Do you know how nerve wracking it is when you have to cry in a scene? Oh my God. I used to really go there. That's crazy. So to be there with these two heavy, heavyweights and then Michael coming in, it was hard for me, man. Like I was really, really nervous. Well, you pulled it off. My God, that's crazy. I mean, I Ugh. can't even imagine. I don't even know what that would even be like. So, but you know, I felt bad too because I feel like any word that comes out of Adriana's mouth is comedic. Yeah. Everything, everything she ever, every, everything she says and does without it being comedy. So I felt bad for Edie and Jim that had to sit there with me with a straight face <laughs> and not crack up every yeah. time I said. Oh, with all the flowers coming in bloom, I would love to be a Jew. I mean. <laughs> and then, but I was used as a vehicle in this in this scene where I say, you know, his screenplay. Yeah. Um, oh, that's right. Know, yeah. Yeah. So that was going to show, you know, Tony Soprano once again that, that he's, that Christopher's not focused. You tipped him off without knowing. Yeah. And the whole thing with, uh, he goes, I'm so sick of everyone talking about food, food, food. I can relate to that because my mother was so disgusted by how much we talked about food in our Italian world because she was a writer uh-huh. and she, this totally relates to Christopher. She saw herself as a, you know, she was a, an insane intellect, my mom, mm-hmm. um, that we were still so Italian it bothered her the way we talked about food, yet it was the world that she wrote about only. But she's like, I don't want to fucking hear about how, you know, my, my grandmother would come in and poke in on her when she's writing and she would say, you know, what do you want for dinner? And I'm sick and tired. I just ate lunch. I don't want to hear about food again. She goes, I'm working. And she'll, my grandmother will say, you're typing. And my mother would say, fuck you. I'm writing. I am not typing. And I don't give a shit what we're eating for dinner. And my mother wouldn't, allow any frying allowed in the house she didn't want to smell food being cooked oh wow interesting oh no it was a whole thing and then when my grandmother got older she she wouldn't let her my, my grandmother cook and it was the end of my grandmother my, oh, my, my grandmother could no you longer live cook for food yes yes so when she took that away from her and my mom probably knows this now i i do think that's part of why she just sort of my my own mom is you know and it all revolves around food and now my mother's diet is so bad because she would never eat cooked food mm-hmm. that she, she only eats candy. Is She's not well because of it. Ugh. Food. Bad. The I Italian know. household. It, it was like a curse for her. Oh, God. So I, when I saw that scene, I was like... Oh, it brought back something for you. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, but again, food is everyday life. It's, yeah. it's what gives you life. It's boring to him at this point. It's boring. He wants something more. He wants to feel, he wants to feel that, feel something more out of life. Um, so then we go to skip and pussy. He makes him wear, um, a wire to AJ's confirmation after party. 
Yeah, that's a tense scene. He gets tense with him. He's like, mm-hmm. who, who the fuck's going to sponsor you, motherfucker? Wait, why are you swearing so much? What about my mom? I know. Can I you can you it. knock no. it off a little bit? Just a little bit? Well, that was the that It's what he okay, says in the if scene. If you quote it, yeah, quotes, quotes, quotes. Um, and what were all the helicopters in that scene? Did you hear all, like, that's a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder why, because they would They're cut, circling. They would They're circling it. him. They're coming. It's weird noise. though, because they're not there yet. Very good fellas. Very good fellas to hear the mm-hmm. helicopters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Skip was really nasty with him there. Yep. And then you know. um, Chris is at the hotel again with Amy, mm. and he notices the shoes. The shoes in the elevator. And the I mean, Chet Baker song is playing. Tasty pudding. Mm-hmm. I love Chet Baker. I'm just gonna say that. Just saying. I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. Okay. But yeah, that scene. Um, there's another curse word here. Do you want to take it? No, I don't know what the curse word is. Don't just. Well, when she it. says she went to Yale. Uh huh. What do you say? I I, I deleted goes, some of these notes. I have to tell you, and I put my own stuff in. Well, he goes fucking Yale. I swear to God, you Jews have your own Cosa Nostra at that fucking Ivy League. I love that line. I know you do. You're like I. Can't. I love it. Because it's true. Yeah. It's yeah. true. <laughs> the Ivy League Cosa Nostra. That's so good. So good. Um, yeah, he loves the shoes, the Manila Blahniks, whatever. He's going to go make, make Adriana go buy a pair of those tomorrow. He's going to he, buy her some Blahniks? He's going to buy her some Blahniks. He's always wanting something more. He wants a high-class broad. I don't know. Amy says, I'm not a terrible person. And she goes into all that when she's in the bathroom, right? And she's worried about, like, being judged. Well, this whole scene's about trust and Mm -hmm. the lack thereof. And I think it it then bleeds into, you know, the end of the show. Um, But it also, even just leaving that restaurant where he hears that Christopher's writing a screenplay. Yeah. But um, in this scene, it goes from the basic trust of a man and a woman to the trust of someone's art to the trust of the omerta and telling stories from the neighborhood that you're not supposed to. And then some Hollywood D-bag. Stealing it. You know, stealing your story. Yeah. Um, And she's, you know, everybody's using him the way the mayonnaisers were using Tony Soprano. To you know, when he tells the story about ringing the bell mm-hmm. um, at the golf course, I thought it was interesting that like they're using and abusing Chris, but like I feel like it was the opposite. Like back in the day, the mob used to run Hollywood. You know, like back in they the- had a hand in it. I mean, I definitely they had. I don't know if they were running oh. it. I think they always want to be a involved. hand in it. The, but like- the mob, ma- mafiosos. They know their lives are terrible. What they do is terrible. They're, it's clear. But they love these movies about their world. There yeah. also are no... I mean, how come... Um, okay, Grey's Anatomy. So we have a, we have a TV show about, about a doctor. There's tons of cop shows. Um, there's all these different genres. But there's, but there's nothing like the mob genre. It's the only genre where people are doing something despicable yeah and it's glorified um but i guess even you know 
with dr- like a show like Weeds, like you know, or or um, or Breaking Bad. You know, they're all gangsters to a certain degree. Everybody's, you know, people are fascinated by that stuff. Fascinated, right? Yeah, I but am. I just I I just found it absurd that they would take such an advantage of a mob guy. Because like I said, I just don't think that that sounds... You think that they would be a little bit more worried. I mean, think we should write a screenplay about Michael Frenzies? Maybe we should. I mean, apparently it doesn't matter if you look at The Sopranos in this episode. (laughs) We could just... Oh, you got some stories on no. Um, Which we have to get into at some point. And have him back. Point. We have we have many seasons. We have many, many seasons. seasons to go. I'm gonna keep going on, and I'm gonna go through go. a couple scenes that don't even like you know whatever. Um, oh well, well, hold on, Chris. They go back to well. Th- there's a big trust thing here. We yeah. we already went over that. So Chris goes back to the set. I just want to say that that Silver Cup Studios guys uh-huh. set, um, the new set that he goes to is Silver Cup. That's that was our stage. That's where we actually shot oh, all wow. our interiors. That's so that was just a little exterior nice. shot. That's a little tidbit. It's a fun fact. It it's a nice GGB tidbit. It. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Um, so then Putsy, 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 Pussy. <laughs> Pussy puts on the wire. He attacks. Oh, poor Angie. Poor Angie. She walks in on I him know. and Matt, right? Has to restrain him. He's just basically oh. showing. He's unraveling. It's all coming down on him. His family, his poor family. That kid is such a good kid. Um, and then uh, Chris confronts Amy at the office building. Back in the... And she tells him that Mickey Blue Eyes made them rethink producing the mob movie after it bombed at the box office. Which is funny. Do mm-hmm. you know why that's funny? I, I have an inkling. Go ahead. No, you tell me why. I'm looking something else up right now that I forgot and I'm curious about. Well, all the Sopranos cast members, right, appeared in that movie, a lot of them? I mean, like, half the friggin' cast. <laughs> it's a total jab. Oh, that's funny. That's funny! But that's, again, how how it's all, like... Intertwined. You know, we're all enmeshed. Yeah, totally. Um, but wait, it's Tony Sirico, Johnny V, um, Vinny Pastore, Aida, Frank Pellegrino, Joe Ganiscoli, Burt Young, Tony Barrow. I mean, these are... Um, Tony Darrow. I mean, this all of. Um, oh my god, all of them. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's so witty, man. The writing. Mickey Blue Eyes. Also, the agent that she's waiting for. <laughs> that's my old agent. Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh my god, that's um, so funny. And I was with UTA back uh-huh. then. I left UTA and then I went to Gersh and David DiCamillo, who she's waiting for, was my agent. He was at Gersh. So they um, they crossed. So maybe David used to be at, at UTA. That's possible. And he used them. But anyway, he David DiCamillo, one of the biggest Soprano fans of all time. Oh, Never really? did anything for me in my acting career when he was my agent because he was one of my one of the agents on the team. But um, the only thing he we would talk about when I went up to that office... Was the Sopranos? I was like, I'm sorry. Are we gonna get me a job at any at any point soon, or are we still gonna be talking about the Sopranos <laughs> when I have white pubic hair? Can someone? Oh God! <laughs> Which yeah. might be now. 
<laughs> not, not yet. Not yet, guys. I'm joking. Oh my god, we're gonna get to that point in life. God, I know. We'll we'll compare bushes on Wait, this, on, y- on this on, the on the podcast. What do, and we'll be like? What does it all mean, Dre? It's meaningless. It's, it's all, all a big nothing when you have a white pussy. pussy. I love that I – do you notice how my thing is like I try to control you, your mouth to not be so dirty, and then I dive in with you after? Well, I heard you cursing earlier, so I thought, okay, whatever. Yeah. 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 Maybe I should wash my mouth out. Screw it. Screw with it. This. Do you like – what's Look at that? this. What is that? I can't this see was it. Co- this was a coveted item for a while. Oh, out rubbing alcohol. Yep, seventy mm-hmm. percent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're at the confirmation after party. We see Janice; she's back in it. Pussy tries to get information from Skip. AJ's caught smoking in the garage weed, and then Pussy and AJ have a talk. Yeah, AJ says everybody tells me what a great guy my dad is, but I've never seen that guy. No connection. Oh, that's bullshit. Because he is. You know what? He says that, but that's not that has not been proven through this series because up until now, because Tony Soprano mm-hmm. has been very affectionate and loving with his son in moments, um, and you don't see moments where he's awful towards his son at all. Um, no, he's but the not best, awful. The best line is, "What kind of animal smokes marijuana at their own confirmation?" <laughs> you want to know what kind of animal smokes marijuana at their own confirmation? You- Oh, I I wonder, is it is it Dre? Is it D girl? Dre? Let Dre me, girl? Let, let's have a let's have a relate moment here. Okay, let's do it. Just to end this episode, um, I made my confirmation for one reason. Greedy ass bitch wanted a nameplate with my name in diamonds. Oh now, my god! Let me tell you how this relates to this and how it connects back to the Sopranos. When they told me that I was coming back for the show to audition after I did the pilot, I now knew it was this like heavy Italian American, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said to my, I was at my mom's house when I had to go back for the second audition. She said to me, let's get your nameplate that you wanted for your ridiculous confirmation. It's on a rope chain with Andrea and oh, diamonds. I had I had the bracelet version. But like the version. thick one. Yeah, I had the, the bracelet. One. I had the bracelet version. It was Remember an ID those? one. Mm-hmm. Yes. So she pulls that out of the the safe and she goes, "Wear this to the audition. Your character's <gasps> name's Adriana. Aww. This is this is gonna th- this will remind you of where you come from, Dre, and you'll know how to play this part." So I wore that necklace. So when I made my confirmation, I only did it to get that nameplate and diamonds. I used to go to church every Sunday by myself. Nobody was religious in my house. I walked to church every day in my neighborhood. I'd go to the bakery after church and buy all the pastries and the almond cookies and Mm. the Napoleons and all this stuff and bring it home. And they'd be like, where was Dre? I was a little kid. Um, She went to church. (laughs) First of all, all the hot boys were at church. But um, there was that. But um, my confirmation party, over 200 people, my name in pink lights, oh Andrea. My God. Oh my, my God. confirmation dress, Monkey made it for me. It was white lace. I think I saw it. Skin- I saw it. You have it still. Did Probably. I see? It's, I think you. No. T- 
I think you brought no, no, it no, out. No. It was in plastic? No, that was the dress that Monkey made me for Halloween that Bama wore for Halloween. Okay. The I princess dress. Okay. But this one, she copied a Norma Kamali dress and it's skin tight to the hips and then it comes out in the two tiers. Remember that look? I had that too. Strapless. <laughs> With the shirt, it's yes, all shirt yes. and lace. Mine was, oh. pink. I had like a satin one and a white one. Yes, totally. Oh, yeah. Well, I think I wore it for my... me in white. Yeah. I wore you a light one. would have worn this one. to my confirmation if you would have known me. I had white frosted nails. Oh my. In my Jap clip, I had all these. I made it myself. In my the Jap clip, remember those things? It was a pearlescent one. And I had all these ribbons coming out of it. I had a perm. I had bangs, perm, and then straight okay. bangs. Can I ask you something? A big favor, please. Can you please post a picture on GGB Instagram? Not no, now. never. Oh, my God. Oh, hold Dre, on. Some... Please. Someone just sent me. I'm looking at my phone right now, and I'm not finding the damn picture for some reason. Okay. I'm going inter... to keep moving. My internet's looking. not working. But um, anyways, so my confirmation was like that. It was like a bar mitzvah. It was basically a bar mitzvah, right? We smoked so much pot. I mean. How old are you? We went. 13, 12. Yeah. Yeah. We went into a phone booth. There was a phone booth there and everybody would take turns going into the phone booth with the one hitter and the bat hits. (laughs) There were so many of us. And the reason why I was smoking so much pot is I was in a school that wasn't a real school. I've told you this for seventh and eighth grade. So for seventh and eighth grade, all the kids were left back. So all my friends that would come to my confirmation were like 17 year olds. Oh my God. So I'm smoking weed with, you know, 17 year old. Oh, you're so cool. We were a mess. Oh my God. Messy. I can't believe this picture won't show up. I'm finding the picture and I'm going to post it. But anyway, moving on to the ending scene, um, which is basically focused on loyalty, right? Um, For both Chrissy, Chris, Chrissy, Pussy and Chris. It's all about loyalty and what, you know, the reality of Pussy's situation is. And he's alone now. They're both. They both have to make decisions. The three men are in a crisis. A crisis. (laughs) Chrissy and Chrissy's in a crisis. In a crisis. I mean, the, all three men are in a crisis and they're questioning their lives. Yeah. Completely. 100%. Um, and then he walks in. This is my favorite part. I mean, he walks in and says, eh, about Adriana. Oh, she's on the rag again, you know, just trying to keep appearances up. And he goes, no. No. I'm on the rag. She's just wondering who the fuck you are. And that's the thing. Everybody's wondering who they are, what their place is, what their purpose is. And he says to him, I'm going to go back in there and be, with, and be with my guests. In exactly 10 minutes, I'm going to look up. And if you're not there, <clears throat> I'm going to assume you went, you went to look for whatever the fuck is calling you out there and that I'll never see you again. And if you're still here, and if you are, and if you are still here, I'm going to assume that you have no other desire, no other desire than to be with me, and your actions will show that every minute of every fucking day. I loved I, that. I want to say that to a man. I, I should have said that to Robbie when he went camping today. I want to say I want to say that to you. I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna look up Dre, and if you're here. <laughs> And if you're here, we're going to continue the podcast. And if not, your actions. 
amazing. It's so good. It's such oh, a it's good so monologue, good. right? Uh-huh. And then he goes and he sits outside for a second. You think he's going to light that cigarette. He doesn't even light that cigarette. He thinks about it for a minute. And this is the part that gets me what? the most is that he go he goes back in and he's caught between two worlds, you know. They're all they're all caught between two worlds, I feel like, and they're 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 caught and they can't get out of it. And um he sits there and he gets up and he goes back in the house and him going back in the house is just like him throwing that screenplay out. Yeah. But because we're living in this Soprano world, us as the audience wants him to stay in the family and doesn't want to see him do the right thing. Well, I don't want to see him give up his dream either of being a screen, a screenplay writer. Well, he can't do both. He's caught between two worlds, just like Pussy is. He can't, mm-hmm. he can't um, live a free man's life and not rat out the life that he's living right now. And yeah. then AJ caught between, you know, actually existing and, and non-existence. I know. <laughs> becoming invisible. Um, so it, it, it blew me away that I was satisfied when he went back in the house. Because you mm-hmm. want him to make that choice, but that's not the right choice. No. So what does that say about us? You know what I mean? Like, it, oh, I was that's thinking about that. Yeah, I was I thinking never... about that a little bit. Um, well, I think Familiarity, knows... because you know this is what's familiar for him. So for him. He should, he should go back in because that's where he belongs. But why wouldn't we as viewers challenge that and say he should have stuck with the other thing just to see? You know, well, because to root the other one in that way. Well, the way Chase depicted that other that other life, where they were douchebags, and there was no there was no depth to any of it. You know what I mean? So of course we want him to go towards Tony, and there's With so the many end. layers. It's a dead it's end, a dead but end. it's who he is. You know, it, it makes sense. It's fitting. It's meaningful yeah. to who he is. This other thing, he doesn't. I don't know. But it's not. But it's not even meaningful because you'll, you know, Christopher's drug addiction is going to progress, and yeah. you know his his the whole meaning of of life is anyway. That's our episode. That's our episode. That's our three hour. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how long we went because I wasn't watching the time. Guess what? I don't like Zoom. I don't you ever know, want... I feel like it wasn't bad. No, it was good, but I don't want to do Zoom anymore. I want to be back right there, me and you. You right? do? I thought you hated the couch. I thought I did. I hate Zoom. I really? I, I kind of didn't mind it. Oh, God. No, <laughs> stop. I want to be back. I'm leaving all this in the episode, by the way. I'm. We're going back on the couch <laughs> You want to be back? Well, I'll be back. On the, I'll be there Thursday. We have a really great interview coming up, so we have okay. to interview our guest. Now I'm used so to be being next Thursday. to you. I'm used to being next to you and being able to move your feet out of the way or you move my feet out of the way. Well, <laughs> like, don't worry, honey. I'll be there Thursday. But you have to be okay with the fact that I am going to be in and out of hospitals right now. Well, I am too. Friday. True. So yeah. I guess things are starting to loosen up a little bit in the world, which is a, a really great thing. You know, when I was when I went to the hospital, it was my first time out, really out at, at, in, the, in the evening time. And there are a lot of kids out, a lot of people, you know, with their face coverings and in and, and lines for um, weird places like well, you know clothing why? stores at night. 
because we need connection. Yes, connection. We, do. we need that. And how how did they tell us to stay connected all by yourselves? They've been doing this to us. This is an, an example of social response, like our vid- music video said. But I know um, that everybody's just doing their best to be safe, wear masks, wear gloves, wear, whenever you can, wash, 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 you know. Well, speaking of existentialism and all the things that we've been diving into in this episode, how much it relates to what's happening to our world right now with all of these fires that are happening. and oh. I mean, just... Um, just everything that's happening right now is so intense and so life-changing and so big. And it really does make you question what our purpose is and why, Yeah. you know, how do we fit into this? How do we make a, make a difference in any of it? Can we make a difference? Is, is there any fucking meaning to anything at this point? Um, I know there's meaning in connection and there's meaning in love, but it's like, we're not even able to, to do connect. these things yeah. right now. And it's really, really um, starting to wear us all down, I think. Even though things are starting to open up a little, now all of these fires are happening and people can't leave their homes up north. Um, so we're in a really fragile, fragile time. Yeah. Our music video is going to come out soon, the one with all them witches. Mm-hmm. It'll probably be out before... It'll be out before this episode airs. But the whole music video is about that. It's a 10-minute observation of mankind when they, when they turn their back on humanity and on their creation and on the future that they create. And we just use a man and a woman and a child as the symbols. But it really isn't about the nuclear family and the man and the woman and the symbol. That's really just a microcosm for the world at large and how everything, when mankind turns its back on, on its creation. Mother Nature, all of that. And I feel like we're really deep, deep, deep in a, um, in, a, in a time where we really have a lot of questions to ask and very little answers to be found. Mm. The only way we could find those answers is to go really deep within, Chris. I know. <laughs> Try, I meditated today. I'm trying. I did not. I'm trying. But I, but I sleep with this crazy... Um, I sleep with some crazy stuff these days. That does a lot of... It well, really that's meditation helps. too. If you're yeah. playing stuff, it's all a different level of everything. Whatever affects you and and puts you in a different space of energy is Well, meditation. I still need the conscious meditation. Yeah. Um, but I feel like these nighttime solfeggios that I'm getting into, they really... Wait, I want to hear you, about you that. Can you different. say that's it for whatever and do that? And then we could talk about that because I, w- I want to know that. Nighttime solfeggios, everybody should get on it. Find yourself that? some nice nighttime solfeggios. What is that? Anyways, um, that's going to be it for today's episode of Gangster Goddess Broadcast. Do we have a um, full leather jacket? Next time? <gasps> yes, full. Richie April hey. makes a peace offering to Tony. Um, Sean and Matt try to make a name for themselves with an unexpected act. I wonder what that is. Hmm. This is a big um, episode. Next so episode's a big one. Show some love to our sponsor, Uprising Food. They're amazing, mm-hmm. amazing, amazing bread. Healthy for you, low carb. And um, don't forget to hit subscribe now. Do it. Smash it, hit it, and uh, see you next Tuesday. I'm see you next smash Tuesday. You face. See you next Tuesday. Ah! I'm going to yeah. smash your face, Krishna. <laughs> 
Goodbye, guys. Thanks for joining us. Gangster Goddess Broadcast is a UV Ways and Monkey Mind Music Group production. Executive produced by Dre and Chris and theme song by UV Ways.